Hey there, Internet. I'm Annie. I'm Kit. I'm Mac. And this is I Will Fight You, a podcast where we've been turning opinion into stone-cold facts since 1986. Today's fact, I don't actually know. Uh, Lucas, what's our fact today? <laughs> today's fact is always, when you get a contract, have a lawyer look at it and make sure you read the fine print. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> because in order to do that, we're going to be talking about a movie that you may or may not have heard of. And if you have, I'm sure that the whispering of its name will send a chill down your back. Folks, we are talking about Theodore Rex. <laughs> the movie the internet tried to forget. God tried to forget this movie. <laughs> Yeah, I tried to look this up on Just Watch to see if it was available for streaming in the UK. I couldn't find it. Not that it wasn't <laughs> available in the UK. Just Watch said it did not exist. <laughs> Same here in Australia. Yeah, a lot of countries have chosen to forget this movie, which is for the best. It is available, however, in full on YouTube with approximately five pixels. The Internet Archive has a very clean version. I watched it on YouTube. The version I watched, if I had a dollar for every pixel of resolution in that movie, I would have five cents. <laughs> <laughs> Which is not a lot, but it's funny that it had it five times. <laughs> it's also, the audio was bad and there were no subtitles. I have only the vaguest understanding of what happened in this Same. movie, you guys. <laughs> I watched the Internet Archive version because I figured this movie had no subtitles. So if I was going to not understand what was happening, I was at least going to be able to look at what I wasn't understanding. <laughs> Same, yeah. And it's a cool yeah. half gigabyte that I'm sure my internet service provider went, are you sure? You, you, you want to spend it? You want to spend it on that? All right. This is a movie that is so forgotten. The Wikipedia page doesn't even have an exhaustive beat by beat no. write up of its plot. It literally has like one and a half lines. No, it has a beat by beat write up of every movie. <laughs> Except this one. Honestly, it would be completely forgotten. If not, I think a nostalgia critic did a, a review of it, which Boo. I remember fundamentally misunderstood several points of the plot to the point where many people will make jokes about this movie based on that review. And it's wrong. It's not actually accurate. That <laughs> does sound like the nostalgia critic. Yeah. Yeah, I know because I watched this movie for the first time since 1995 this week. And I was looking at it going, wait, but where's the bits that everyone makes fun of? <laughs> Lucas, this was on our list. It's been on our list for a long time that you wanted to watch Theodore Rex and talk about it. I got to ask you, buddy, why? <laughs> why this? Why this? Hey, hey, to be fair. To be fair. I gave y'all lots of options, okay? <laughs> I said we could do another schmoopy sports romance and talk about Wimbledon, all right? Me and Kit can yell about Beowulf and watch the 13th Warrior, which we still intend to do because that movie rules. Gotta love a Beowulf. This was actually my first suggestion because I felt like this fit your wheelhouse. But the reason for it was because in 1995, in Gatineau, Quebec, young Lucas went to the gas station slash convenience store that was the closest retail outlet to his house. And there was a wall of VHS cassettes, or rather the sleeves with styrofoam inside, on like a wire rack. And during like, because it was like dollar day for the weekly rentals, I just grabbed this and I watched it in my basement bedroom in Gatineau, Quebec. And I remember just being, even at the time, where I had only realized that movies could be bad maybe a year before. You know how when you were a kid, you just, you just absorb everything and just go, oh, that's just a movie. It's good because it's a movie and I can watch it and it's a movie. This was maybe within a year of me realizing that some movies are bad. And this was the first time a movie had ever just confused me. Like, I, I just wasn't sure. And that feeling stuck with me. Y'all have met me. You know I remember stuff from a long time ago. Like, every once in a while it would come up and I would go, oh, that's the one with the exploding butterfly and the weird toy maker samurai guy and the cookies. And the cookies. And then my brain would short circuit and I would forget it for another couple of years until it came up again. So, as this sort of weird curio 
it's stuck in my mind. And that's why I thought, since y'all love to unearth weird curios, I mean, you went through Garzy's wing. So <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. You know what? In your defense, we did watch Garzy's wing twice. Yeah. Yeah. I've watched Garzy's ring at least like 40 times. So I, I have no reason to speak here. If you had a convenience store, then I would live with you. <laughs> I would live with you. <laughs> okay. Okay. You know what? That's fair. That's fair. Okay. So before we get into talking about Theodore Rex, though, I need to tell you about another movie. Okay. Why? Oh, no. Another one? Oh, yeah. Because there was this movie, right? It was called Boxing Helena. It's a 1993 movie. That sounds familiar. Directed by Jennifer Lynch, who is David Lynch's daughter. I did hear the name on Wikipedia and some of the backstory for this, so I'm excited to get some more context. So it stars Sherry Lynn Fenn of Twin Peaks, Julian Sands, Bill Pullman, and Art Garfunkel. Art Garfunkel? What? Garfunkel. (laughs) Of Simon and... Of Simon and, the very same. Yeah, of Simon and explored each other's bodies. <laughs> the lad himself. <laughs> the mad lad, Art Garfunkel. <laughs> it tells the tale as old as time, which is of a surgeon who kidnaps a woman after a single romantic dalliance and amputates her arms and legs and keeps her in a box in his house. Beg your pardon? Yeah. One more again? It's not a good movie. They sleep together once. He develops a fixation and kidnaps her and then cuts off her legs below the knee. And then when she tries to strangle him, cuts off her arms and keeps her in a box in his cupboard. And then it's this weird like power play thing. This sounds like something I would watch. Yeah. And then also at the end, it's all a dream. What? Spoiler alert for Boxing Helena of 1993. <laughs> okay. Well, that's that's just a cop out. I want to see how this plays out. Quadruple misery, I think. (laughs) Also could be a good describer of Theodore Rex. This was supposed (laughs) to star Madonna, and then she dropped out. And then Kim Basinger, post-Batman 89 Kim Basinger. And they both quit, both because it was very bad. And then Basinger said, well, what if I help rewrite the script to make it less bad? And they went, no, screw you. And so she's like, okay, well, I'm taking my ball and going home. When she left, the production sued Kim Basinger for $8.1 million for breaching her contract. And they won. Like, they bankrupted post-Batman 89 Kim Basinger over this piece of shit movie. <laughs> Jesus Christ. The movie only made $1.7 at the box office. It has a 17% on Rotten Tomatoes. John Simon of the National Review referred to it as the rottenest apple at the bottom of the cinematic barrel. Okay, so that $8 million was the only money they made off of this. Mm-hmm. So, to quote a horrible person, I told you that story to tell you this story. <laughs> so, Whoopi Goldberg... The biggest name in Hollywood at the time, coming off of Ghost, The Player, Sister Act 1 and 2, Karina Karina, Star Trek, Boys on the Side, the most popular she had ever been, was fielding a lot of offers for movies. Then the writer of The Last Starfighter and the disgraced former producer of Pee-wee's Playhouse, who had been shopping around a script called T-Rex for five years, got into a room with Whoopi Goldberg and got her to agree to make this movie. Oh, it's not even a room. It's not even... She called them. They spoke on the phone. Mm -hmm. She was illegally recorded on an answering machine saying that she was 100% committed to this project. They started hiring people and said, okay, so when are you showing up? And she went, uh, and then stopped answering their phone calls. (laughs) So then they sued her for $20 million. Like there's a section on the Wikipedia page, you know, plot, reception, development, Goldberg lawsuit. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so because of Boxing Helena, a precedent had been set that if a movie had gone into production based on the agreement of a star, and that star then leaves, 
and it was deemed that the stars leaving would detrimentally impact the movie. Judges were leaning towards, well, yeah, you know, Hollywood creates jobs, etc., etc. There's a slash film oral history of this movie that is very good and very exhaustively researched. I have some quotes from that one to read during this episode. The oral history on Slash Film is actually really, really good. It's got the last Starfighter guy, the producer, their financier, the head puppeteer of the Theodore Rex suit. And there's this point where they finally get Whoopi Goldberg into a room. They finally get into a room with her after they have like successfully like produced a tape on an answering <laughs> machine of her saying, yeah, I'm interested in Theodore Rex. There's this bit where the producer says, and I remember sitting down and she starts out with a bang. She goes, just for the record. I hate your guts. <laughs> Maybe in 10 years, you and I can have a cup of coffee and laugh about this, but you've made my life a living hell, and I hate your fucking guts. <laughs> Bless you, Whoopi Goldberg. Tell it like it is. Goddamn. Burn it down. This explains why throughout this entire movie, yeah, Whoopi Goldberg is visibly burning with resentment. It's very good that Whoopi Goldberg's character clearly dislikes pretty much everyone in this film because Whoopi Goldberg has nothing but utter disdain for everything happening. As well she should. They finally got her in by getting her to agree because initially her fee was $5 million. She upped her price to $7 million. So just whenever you see Whoopi Goldberg in this movie... Imagine her thinking in her head, $7 million. $7 million. So they were going to release it in cinemas. There was, and I don't use this word lightly, disastrous test screenings. <laughs> and so they released it direct to video. And at $33.5 million, it became the most expensive direct-to-video movie ever made by a major studio. I looked into this because the Wikipedia article listed it as being the most expensive direct-to-video movie made at the time. And I said to myself, <laughs> well, what unseated it? And I looked into this. As far as I can tell, it was only unseated in this record in terms of the most expensive direct-to-video movie ever made in 2012 by Food Fight, which, <laughs> oh my God, which if you haven't heard of Food Fight, Food Fight is the 2012 animated movie about grocery store food mascots starring <laughs> such notable characters as the Starkist Tuna Guy, <laughs> the crane on the pickle jar. That's it. Food Fight had a budget of between 45 to 65 million. And I did some comparisons here. Now, in 2022 money, that is about 55 to 79 million dollars. Now, if we look at Theodore Rex's 33.5 million, if we put that into 2022 money, that is 59 million dollars. Okay, so Theodore Rex still wins. Theodore Rex potentially wins, depending on what that range actually ended up being for the budget for a food fight, but it's still neck and neck. <laughs> yeah, and this movie pretty much tanked the careers of everyone involved. <laughs> Except Whoopi. Whoopi kind of had to go away for a while and then came back stronger. So, once upon a time in the future. Oh, my God. In the future past future. Why is this in front of the movie? Why do they spoiler the movie in the movie? The entire movie. Oh, my God. Folks, audience, there's an opening crawl to this movie. And you might think, okay, it's like a sci-fi movie because it's like about like a cop in the future with a dinosaur partner. Okay, so this is going to be like a Star Wars thing. No, no, <laughs> this is fairy tale font. It is basically that scene from Monty Python on the Holy Grail where they decide to <laughs> skip ahead 
to all of the knights being on the search for the Holy Grail and they pull out the big illuminated book. Mm -hmm. It's basically that. (laughs) Took a picture of it. I didn't want to write it down because it would take too long, but I did in fact take a picture of it so I can read this opening crawl. Excellent. Oh, God. Oh, boy. You got to pause between sentences so we can just take it in. Okay. Okay. Should I do the Korra announcer? Once upon a time in the future. (laughs) (laughs) At midnight tomorrow, billionaire Elizar Kane will launch his new Eden missile to bring on another Ice Age. New bullet point. So just take that one in. (laughs) Just take that in. By the way, yes, this opening crawl has bullet points. It's like a PowerPoint presentation. There's a billionaire named Elizar Kane. Mm-hmm. He's going to launch a missile. He has something called New Eden. He wants to launch another Ice Age. That's our first ask. After mankind is extinct, Cain will reanimate the pairs of all Earth animals he keeps frozen in his ark to create a vision of paradise. So this is our second ask. Now you have to swallow that one. Okay. He's got an ark. It's got two of every animal. He wants to restart evolution in his vision. One hour ago, two workers escaped from the New Eden compound and are racing to tell the police about Cain's master plan. Dot, dot, dot. So hypothetically, you would think, oh, clearly this is going to come into two people. That's going to be where we fade into. Wait, wait, hang on. Hang on. Wait, no, wait, hang on. Uh Uh-huh. This is the plot of Sky Captain in the World of Tomorrow. (laughs) (laughs) God damn it. God damn it. It's also the beginning of Star Wars. You've got two droids running away with plans to a bad thing that are being chased by the bad guy. No, it is specifically the in, in yeah, Sky Captain in the, the World of Tomorrow, the evil scientist wants to destroy the Earth and have an arc with two of every animal on it. Yeah, that's Sky Captain in the World of Tomorrow. That's Sky Captain. Now it's Theodore Rex. Now it's Theodore Rex. God fucking damn it. <laughs> it's Theodore Rex. And we fade through instead to a guy delivering a message. Yeah, speaking of which, by the way, so like, think about all of that, everything you just got told, forget it for the next hour and 25 minutes. (laughs) It really only features in the climax. Yeah, this movie is going to pretend it didn't tell you that. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so now we're in black and white. We are now in black and white, and somebody is being chased through an abandoned amusement park. This is your fourth ask. Please, please, please just go with it. There's a beautiful sentence about Uh, this later, and I look forward to saying it out loud. And if you're watching this on YouTube, as stated, it has five pixels, so all you see are blurry globs of black and white. It's not very clear on the Internet Archive version either. And you see a dinosaur who is functionally identical to... Teddy Rex, the dinosaur on the cover of the movie, but it's not Teddy Rex, running around through this abandoned amusement park and like across a bridge as someone goes, Oliver, I have something for you. And then you (laughs) discover that he's being pursued by a Dracula. (laughs) (laughs) This movie just has a Dracula. It's just got a Dracula in it. His name is Edge. His name is Edge. I just wrote Dracula the whole time. It's okay. When referring to Kane, I just wrote Elon Musk the whole time. Oh, for real? Yeah. German Elon Musk. But Edge is a very angular man who has this curtain of hair swept back from his widow's peak that, like, does a Prince Valiant if Prince Valiant got rid of his turf banks. Like, it's it's a look <laughs> and a long coat to the point where I'm like, I don't remember a woman running through there. And then he turns around, I'm like, oh, it's, it's not a woman. It's an angular man, baby. It's Dracula. He is a Dracula. <laughs> Not like opera suit with the big cape Dracula, but like this guy just reeks of Dracula. I can't, I don't know what to tell you. It's it's just powerful Dracula vibes. Big Dracula energy. He's got some VDE. <laughs> <laughs> so Edge releases a butterfly, a very fake looking butterfly. It's the only thing in color right now. 
Was it a holographic butterfly? I couldn't tell between the, the pixels. It may have been a light CGI butterfly. It's floating at least six inches to the left of where his hand is. And then the butterfly gets to the dinosaur and it explodes. <laughs> oh my god, is that what happened? I just assumed that was a scene transition. No, no it exploded. <laughs> oh my god. I'm going to cut in that Futurama bit where it says it's got a vampire and an explosion. <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> and then we go to Pee-wee's Playhouse. <laughs> <laughs> we do. What is this fucking apartment? Teddy Rex wakes up in his little pajamas and nightcap. His Scrooge-ass nightcap. He lives in Pee-wee's Playhouse. He's got blocks. He's got like a wacky bed. Toy cars. He's got toy cars. What is the... Okay, now look, look, like a set, especially a character's room, should tell us something about the character. Is Teddy five? <laughs> Teddy is a child, I think. How old is Theodore Rex? I don't know. It's a lot. And thing is, these blocks are like knee high to him, which means they'd be waist high to a person. Thing is, you ever watch an old movie, like a biblical epic from the 50s, and look at like the battle scenes? Or like the 50s War and Peace movie, where you look at it and you go, wow. They really did get thousands of people dressed as soldiers to, like, make a cavalry charge. You know, fire cannons or whatever. Every set in this movie is practical and built and enormous. And, God, it looks expensive. Like, my wallet hurts every time we see this apartment we are going to spend so little time in. And they built, like, special tiles for the wall and the floor. And they've canted out all the walls slightly so his tail doesn't hit them when he moves. And so much. Oh, my God. It's so expensive. And they didn't have the money to spend. <laughs> the financier, who was, by the way, like a pharma guy. Yeah, he was an Italian pharma guy. <laughs> yeah, I have a quote here. His name is Stefano. When we started, the show Dinosaurs was a big hit. When we're talking about the sitcom here, the uh, Jim Henson studio. And then you had the Muppets, too, and whatnot. And so the people we hired to construct the suits and machines and mechanical things, they were top notch. For 1989. <laughs> Fast forward to 1994 when CGI started evolving very quickly and we were out of the game. In fact, I remember going to Cannes and seeing the premiere for a movie called Dragonheart, which used CGI. No! <laughs> <laughs> and I remember sitting there in the audience and saying to myself, we're fucked. <laughs> Dragonheart. Dragonheart was the game changer. It's all connected. This is going on my Pepe Silvio wall. <laughs> there is a grand unified theory of I will fight you. Remember that bit in the St. Anger thing where the bassist leaves them and Metallica goes to his new band's concert and it's this really boring sludge metal and they come out and they're like wowed and they go, oh my God, we're so behind. We're never going to be relevant again. That's this movie in Dragonheart. Teddy. This is Theodore Rex, the eponymous T-Rex. He has a dog. Name Zippy. And he only eats cookies. He has a dinosaur clawfoot tub, which is like if a tub had people feet, and I don't <laughs> like that. He has dinosaur slippers. Don't forget the slippers. He has dinosaur slippers, which again, imagine people slippers. My enduring impression of this scene is that Teddy never shuts the f*** 
fuck up. He keeps a running monologue going throughout his entire morning routine. This is a continuous <laughs> theme. Oh my god, the whole movie. Yeah, the whole. this is the loudest movie I have ever heard. Like, I was trying to explain this to John, and I was like, so you know Popeye cartoons? <laughs> you know how Popeye and Bluto and Olive Oil just keep talking constantly? Mm-hmm. It's like that, but that's every dinosaur. And every bush is moving, <laughs> and every tree has to be waving in the breeze because we're spending money, damn it. Every puppet in this movie <laughs> has to be continually talking with every movement. It's like whenever you see those behind-the-scenes things of, like, Foley and sound engineers and these really talented people who have to, like, put in the squeaks and pops of when, you know, Will Smith is wrestling a worm or whatever. That, but for every motion. I want to take this moment to talk about Teddy's shoes. They're like Chucks. They're like Converse shoes, like Converse basketball shoes. But they have three toes, one for each of his toes, and they each have individual laces. And I hate that they have individual laces. I don't <laughs> like these shoes. They stitch three Converse together onto each foot. I hate it. So Teddy is voiced by George Newbern, okay? Mm -hmm. George Newbern is famous for a lot of things. He's like a lot of voice actors. He's worked in loads and loads and loads of projects. He's very good. More specifically, I want to call out two projects. Okay. One he is the voice of Superman in the Justice League Unlimited cartoon. Really? Holy shit. Oh my god. He's Superman. He's Superman. He that means he was Superman in the Superman cartoon. Like yeah. the 90s one. Yeah. And are you ready for the second twist? Are you ready for the left turn here? Uh-oh. Okay. I'm listening. No. He's Sephiroth in Kingdom Hearts. What? Oh my god. <laughs> what? <laughs> Wait, like, 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 like. <laughs> like Sephiroth. One-winged angel <laughs> motherfucker, Sephiroth. Before they replaced him with the boy from Teen Wolf, yep. who is also Superman now. It all gets all coming full circle. Oh my god. It keeps coming back around. Time is a flat circle, you guys. Fuck. <laughs> so yeah, this dude's resume, this extensive and well-padded resume goes Superman. More like a Justice League. Theodore Rex. <laughs> like a summer breeze. <laughs> you forget this thing. Sephiroth. <laughs> Good to see you, Cloud. <laughs> oh my god. So yes, Teddy, in fact, makes noises everywhere he goes. He like scats and like describes what he's doing. Da, 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 gonna go here, get my rubber duckies into the shower, which is not how rubber duckies work. They only work in baths. Teddy, why do you have four rubber duckies in the shower? Why, why are they in the shower? <laughs> He's got a lazy boy with a hole in it for his tail. He talks to his dog, and the dog clearly hates the puppet. <laughs> the dog hates the puppet so much. Every time the dog has to interact with a T-Rex puppet. Oh, my God. Also, you've got Teddy picking up his phone, which is literally a computer mouse with a bit of plastic around the top. Oh, God. He picks it up, and he talks into it, and he calls headquarters because Teddy's a cop, a cab, including dinosaurs. <laughs> he calls headquarters and gets... A dispatcher who talked like this, she basically sounds like Janine from Ghostbusters. <laughs> and they just say, yeah, constantly? Yeah. Yeah. He calls in because, quote, I had an odd feeling, has anything weird happened? <laughs> <laughs> Says the dinosaur holding a cell phone in his Pee Wee Playhouse apartment. It has not yet been explained why a dinosaur has an apartment and he's asking, did anything weird happen? <laughs> and Janine on the other line says... A beautiful sentence. Yeah, a murder down at the Carnival Graveyard. I love every time they say Carnival Graveyard because each time it was like something was smacking me in the face. <laughs> I don't think 
it actually fully registered. I knew carnival, but it never fully registered carnival graveyard until just this moment. Like my brain just (laughs) refused to admit it. Teddy gets on his little ring. He puts on his little outfit. He admires his little dinosaur detective poster. He talks to his dog, which, by the way, just lives in this apartment. I worry about this dog. <laughs> and again, the dog clearly hates it. The dog hates him. He tries to be a cutesy thing, and he like gets close to the dog. He's like, give me a kiss. Give me. And the dog is just like, Raph, I hate you. Ah, no. Get away. No, you are evil. You are evil. Like, you know how when a Terminator got close to dogs in the Terminator movies and the dogs just go ballistic? Yeah, it's like that. It's like that. So the dinosaur, Teddy, he gets out the door of his apartment, then says, wait a minute, turns around, hits a button and yells, cookie. (laughs) (laughs) And, oh, good, that did happen. (laughs) Yeah. He has a computer that fires a cookie at the door, which I guess we assume that's where he is. He catches it with one hand. It's not a, like a hard cookie. It's not like a cookie you'd buy at the store. It's like a Subway cookie. It's a very soft cookie. And he catches it without looking and says, macadamia, yes. <laughs> By the way, I'm going to point out every time one of the IMDb featured quotes of this movie comes up, that is number one. <laughs> Macadamia, yes. A cookie. A cookie is launched at him and he catches it and he says, Macadamia, yes. That was notable quotes on IMDb. It sure is a moment. And so he leaves his apartment and then we take the time to explain how he fits his tail into a car. It's basically an old tiny milk truck and they've cut the back of the seat out and there's like a little door that folds down so his big long tail can fit in behind him. And this tail is it's so big. literally five feet long. It's enormous. <laughs> Apparently, the guy in the suit really had a hard time standing up because of the balance of this thing. He was miserable. Why did they give the costume such a huge tail? They didn't need to do that. It's a whole bit. (laughs) Oh, yes. There are many, many tail gags throughout this movie. For the whole movie. Gags is a strong word. Stuff happens. (laughs) I feel like the tail gags were the result of the costume being gigantic and unwieldy and not the other way around. I would agree. It's like poetry. It rhymes. (laughs) And so then he gets into his car and I guess goes to... The timeline of this movie is squiffy. Yeah. He leaves. We flash to Katie Coltrane. We meet Whoopi Goldberg. Why is she called Katie and not Kate? If any character is a Kate, I feel like this character is a Kate. Honestly, I feel like if any character just goes by their last name, this character just goes by Coltrane. She does a lot. She does refer to it as Coltrane, which is, again, a, a cool cop name. Yeah, it's, it's just the Katies that are weird. But here's the thing, though. Whoopi is in this, like, foam and leather outfit. It's a cool outfit. She can't really move in it. Mm-mm. <laughs> And bless Whoopi, she's in great shape for this movie. Like, she looks cool. But anytime they have her bend or turn or anything, it's like watching Michael Keaton do Batman turns. (laughs) Yeah. The suit is not built to move. It's meant to look cool when she stands there. Yeah. And Whoopi Goldberg, like, puts a finger to her ear and says something about downloading something and then says, my CPUs are ready for action. (laughs) We will not get an explanation for this for like an hour. We just have to accept it. Yeah, it's kind of like that bit from The Matrix where Trinity wants to be able to fly the helicopter, except stupid and not explained. 
what we see as she is on a rooftop with a dude that we will never see again after the sequence is over. They see a rollerblader getting shot at and run down by a pursuing van. It's more of a garbage truck than a van. Every truck in this movie is a garbage truck simply because it is in this movie, this garbage film. (laughs) (laughs) Do you think they got a really good deal on garbage trucks? (laughs) (laughs) They must have, right? Here's what happens. This rollerblader yells, at midnight tomorrow, it's all over. I had to go back and listen to it like three times because the audio does not set this up as an important line because it has exactly the same like weight and volume as all of these weird little dudes on this garbage truck going, <laughs> Oh my God. These guys are called Zap Heads and they're wearing like rags all over them and they have like weird like dreadlocks made out of garbage and glowing red eyes and they giggle like gremlins the entire movie. The movie needed some fucked up little guys. <laughs> it needed some weird little guys. And they occasionally say stuff like, let's get them. It's, it's awful. It's very annoying. If you paid attention to the big asks at the beginning of the movie, you might be able to put together that this rollerblader must be someone important and that maybe he's saying something relevant to the plot. Throw that out the window. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Throw it out the window. It doesn't matter. He dies. The gang is being led by, we don't know his name until later. His name is Spinner. He is played by legendary actor Bud Cord. He was the Herald in Herald and Maud. Huh. What? And now he's doing this. <laughs> <laughs> oh, buddy. Spinner has a prosthetic eye and like spiky hair and a jacket with fake legs on it. It's meant to evoke a spider, I think, but it's never, ever explained. A- he's just a giggling plastic surgeon guy. <laughs> He's just a guy. There's lots of people in this movie that you can really only describe them as some guy. They're just here. Fucked up little guys. Fucked up little guys. So they put this dude into the van, the rollerblader, and they take off in this garbage truck and Whoopi and her partner zip line down into the van. The partner gets in the front. Whoopi breaks through a glass ceiling in the top of this van that is oddly bigger on the inside. Hardest fan. Batman vibes, <laughs> powerful Batman vibes mm-hmm. for no reason. It's a literal grappling gun. Remember, this script was written in 1989 when that Batman movie came out. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, what if we just did this? It's cool, right? There's got to be a better way to stop a truck. So they get into a firefight within the van after Whoopi tries to do a thing that sounds like in one draft of the script was a running gag where she kind of thesauruses a word and then like spins it out. Like she's like, you've been observed. Seen, spotted, caught, committing a crime. She doesn't do this for the rest of the movie at all. <laughs> and he needed to pad like another, what, three lines onto the page? At least he didn't film everything in slow motion. Oof. <laughs> <laughs> Running up to seven minutes under. <laughs> By the way, the city, this was a practical set. They had an enormous city set. And they refer to various times as something being on the dino grid or later gloriously, on the ninja grid. And so the set designers decided that the buildings needed to be on a painted grid, but then it had been years earlier, so they had to have it be like covered over by graffiti and stuff. So they painted a building, an actual seven-story building, twice in different colors. Why? To be in the background as the van drove by. Why? (laughs) Because they're not very good at making movies, Annie. So there's a bit where during the firefight, Spinner hits a button and a trap door drops Whoopi and an operating table so that she's dragged behind the truck for a little while. And you think, oh, she's going to work her way up the line and keep fighting. Nope. One of the Zephas just cuts the line. She smashes into an alley. The truck crashes. The gang leaves. 
again, there's a bit of a bit between her and her partner, again, from a draft of the script where the partner was a character and didn't just disappear immediately after the scene. You had the front. You had the back. You call that having the front. You call that having the back. And then the van explodes with the power of a thousand suns. (laughs) (laughs) There are so many cars that explode for no reason in this movie. So, audience, that is two explosions in three minutes. And yet we're not excited. And these are big, huge gasoline explosions. (laughs) They're enormous. And then he turns to her and he says, nothing like a welcome back party. What? (laughs) What? Excuse me? Does this refer to something? It turns out it does later, but what? It barely (laughs) refers to something later. I don't know. And then they just do some like light forensics on this guy and they determine that the guy on the rollerblades was a DNA encrypted clone. So he doesn't have like an ID or like, I guess, a space future social security card or something. The fact that he's a clone is not considered noteworthy. It's the fact that he is an unregistered clone. Again, in a better movie, this would be world building. In this movie, it's very confusing. It's just word salad. (laughs) There's no building. It is throwing words on the floor. (laughs) Like you slosh out a fish market. This is word slop. And not even in a fun way like genome engineering. No. (laughs) Half albino, runt of the litter, genome engineered lichen tint. And at least that is an entertaining amount of nonsense. <laughs> so they throw down this little computer thing, which Max had rooms up the chief. So you don't even need to turn up at your boss's office to get chewed out. It's 2022 all over again. <laughs> He's like, you're bad cops and something. Yeah, and the hollow chief says, great, Coltrane, you're street legal. Again, what? What? And then he says the glorious sentence again. There's a dead dinosaur at the carnival graveyard. Does this movie ever explain what a carnival graveyard is, or do we just have to live with that being a term? I think we just have to live with it. It's a graveyard for carnivals, kid. It's where carnivals go to die. Like elephants? You take your carnival to a nice farm upstate. Like elephants, when a carnival knows its time has come, it's make, it makes a pilgrimage to the carnival graveyard. It migrates, <laughs> shedding cars off the wild mouse the entire way. It won't eat them where it's going. i <laughs> I figured that was just Gotham City. I figured that's where carnivals went to die. So we cut to Teddy. There's a very quick back and forth cut here. We don't know where he is or where he's going, but he's discussing it again. And it's brought up that his dream was prophetic because, quote, all you dinos are on the same wavelength. And he responds, we feel for each other. Yes, that's right. This anthro T-Rex has genetic memory and telepathy. Dinosaurs have like dino empathy. They have a superpowered dino empathy. It doesn't actually mean anything. It's barely touched upon in this film. Don't worry about it too much. The only reason it's there is that Teddy has a weird feeling and goes to investigate and is told not to investigate and stay off the case. Because now he's at the crime scene and he's told that they have no clues, no evidence, no suspects after 20 minutes of looking around this carnival graveyard and went, clearly nothing weird happened here. <laughs> just, just a dead dinosaur in a carnival graveyard. It's fine. It's perfectly reasonable. It's definitely fine and normal. So Teddy decides to go and see the police commissioner about this, who was at a fundraiser. And then we cut away. Meanwhile, the Dracula meets up with the weirdos from the truck and they hand him some kind of necklace that seems like it would be important. If you've seen the Eternals, it's the golden orb that lets Selma Hayek talk to the Celestial, except it's not. It's like a gobstopper they've stuck some greeblins on. It's got kibble. I don't think they ever actually explain what that's supposed to be for. No, they never, ever do. Ever, ever, ever. (laughs) 
Okay, great. So that wasn't something I missed. No. Meanwhile, Whoopi Goldberg meets a dog. Do we ever see this dog again? I don't think we ever see this dog. It just goes to Whoopi Goldberg's apartment and never comes out. I'm concerned. She picks the dog up and the dog starts to growl, which means someone foleyed in a growl of this dog hating Whoopi Goldberg, which feels like a slight, but I don't know how to put it into words. I feel like this is only here to establish that Whoopi Goldberg isn't a completely awful person because look, she likes dogs. And this dog is meant to be a stray. But it's clearly a well-taken-care-of Yorkie that someone just brought from their house. Yeah, you just stole someone's dog. So then Whoopi goes to her other morality pet. This is Sebastian. He's a little kid who runs, quote, the Mystery Meat Cafe for his dad. And he is there to be an adorable urchin who shows that Whoopi is, like, a friend to people and doesn't just blow up fans full of zap heads. Oh, she's a friend to children and animals? (laughs) (laughs) Just like Gamera? (laughs) Whoopi Goldberg as Gamera, 2023. Did we talk about raccoons? Nope. (laughs) (laughs) Great. Because we find out on a news broadcast that raccoons are being revived. (laughs) We're bringing the raccoons back. Raccoons went extinct. Uh, I'm here to tell you, no, they didn't. (laughs) Never will. If there is one species still living on this planet, it's going to be raccoons. It's the Sydney ibis and the North American raccoon. Mm -hmm. Because they are never extinct. They are waiting and hiding. (laughs) Like, good news, Mackenzie. Raccoons are back. I'm glad. My favorite babies. (laughs) I think this is supposed to be establishing that this company is known for bringing back extinct animals. Yeah, the news broadcast says elephants, lions, whales, and now raccoons. So implying that animals are mostly extinct, if not completely extinct, and Kane is bringing them back one species at a time, genetic engineering style. And here's our priority list, by the way. Elephants, lions, whales. You got to do the large charismatic mammals first. (laughs) And then you get to move directly into small trash creatures. (laughs) I did the big animals so you could stop complaining. Now I get to make my trash children. Whoopi Goldberg says to this little child that she might meet him later. He's like clearly getting her to come somewhere like to a lunch or something. And she's like, "Uh, I don't know. I'm not good with surprises. And then touches her stomach in a way that is meant to be meaningful, but at this point is not. And she really can't move in that costume, you guys. She can't. She's standing there so stiff. She can't. (laughs) It's implied that maybe he's trying to hook Whoopi Goldberg up with his dad. Or is just desperate for a mother figure in any way. And she is the least, like, encouraging. Like, you know how occasionally you see someone, oh, they're a bit gruff, but I bet if someone's nice to them, they'll help. She is actively hostile to literally everyone. (laughs) Disdain radiating from her poorly functioning body. Yes. Leaves are blowing away from her against the wind. (laughs) (laughs) And that is likely at least 75% Whoopi Goldberg just being like, $7 $7 million. $7 million. $7 million. <laughs> <laughs> so Teddy gets to a museum where the commissioner is having a fundraiser. He's barred at the door, no invite. And then at which point he kind of does like a cop movie thing where he like shoves his badge in the guy's face. He's like, how about this invite, Frenchie? This is a different <laughs> badge. It is. This is a different badge than the one that like our previously established cops have. They have different badges. Oh, yeah. Also, cops are referred to as guns in this movie, which is a rare bit of truth. (laughs) You're saying the quiet part loud there. Yeah. So he goes in and his tail smacks one of the security guards in the face as he goes by. Tail gag. Then he finds the commissioner. And the commissioner is Shaft, you guys. (laughs) (laughs) That's Shaft? Shaft. Why Why is the commissioner Shaft, Lucas? Shaft? 
Lucas, why is the commissioner Shaft? Is Shaft allowed to be a police commissioner? <laughs> because Richard Roundtree wanted to put another wing on his house and chuck a couple more koi carp into his piano-shaped <laughs> pond, I guess. How many million dollars did Shaft get for this? I don't know. <laughs> it's Shaft. Also here along with Shaft is renowned Academy Award-nominated Armin Mueller-Stahl, a German actor, and Drusilla from Buffy. What? <laughs> the casting in this movie is so confusing. <laughs> so puzzled. So Armin Mueller-Stahl has a mustache and is German, and he is Kane. He is the big bad of this movie. The one that they told you about at the beginning, the billionaire. Drusilla is introduced as Dr. Shade. My personal doctor, which is a supervillain origin if I've ever heard it. Okay, so like they're like his personal doctor. Okay, so that's just like his sort of live-in physician, I guess, because he's old. But then she's also like implied to be a biologist or a geneticist or something. And she's doing a super evil British accent different from her Drusilla accent. Also, Juliet Lando's from LA, <laughs> so none of these are her regular accent. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes she's also like his personal assistant, too. Yeah, she has a clipboard. She types stuff into computers. She does many things. She's a woman. She does the woman things <laughs> right. on the villain team. And this is when we also find out that Theodore Rex actually has an official title. He is the system press liaison officer with the police department. What? So he's like a public relations guy, I think. He's a token dinosaur, basically. He's a diversity hire for dinosaurs? Yeah. <laughs> They actually refer to him as the token dino later in the movie, which kind of slams directly into the problem with the central metaphor of this movie. Okay, so it's meant to be this fantastic racism thing that dinosaurs are treated like second class citizens and nobody wants to work with them. No one takes them seriously and stuff. But the problem with stuff like this that I always find whenever it's, we're, oh, we're going to transpose real life problems onto a fictional society is that in order to show them as those problems, they show them in ways that I feel like would never fly. You know, put it this way, and this, I may cut this because I just I just wanted to use it to explain my point, but it sounds kind of gross as I say it. If they treated a black person in this movie the way they treat a dinosaur in this movie, you would hate this movie and want to turn it off more than you already do. <laughs> it's true. So also yeah. we find out that Kane specifically created Teddy Rex potentially as a prototype or one of the first dinosaurs. It's never explained. He refers to Teddy as his crowning achievement. This is his dad. He made all of the dinosaurs, apparently by hand, the way that he talks to them. Like, he made them all individuals. Again, if Teddy is his high watermark of success, that's a low bar, my dude. <laughs> that's really the best you could do? We've seen his apartment. <laughs> he saw what he had wrought and he went, you know what? It's good. I'm done. <laughs> like, this is where he peaked. Nailed it. And again, we have a little presentation talking about the New Eden ecology movement. Years ago, he says, I recreated dinosaurs to show how science could change the world, which sure sounds like a billionaire. <laughs> it, does. it does not explain why the dinosaurs are anthro, intelligent, only about 10 feet tall and have apartments. Why did he do this to dinosaurs? Why did he do this to us? God, is he doing this to raccoons? <laughs> Oh, God. Is oh, he, God. Is, is he giving human level intelligence to all of these animals? Elephants, whales, raccoons, and now dinosaurs. <laughs> Why, God? That just seems cruel. You, you ruined a perfectly good dinosaur is what you did. Look at it. It's got anxiety. <laughs> <laughs> but here's the thing. The opening crawl makes it seem like this is a secret. 
right? Like that he's evil. Yeah. He straight up says in his speech, the Ark is ready and humans will step aside. What? And then we cut away. What's the rest of that speech? <laughs> because that's his villain plan. <laughs> He's just telling everyone at the fundraiser what his villain plan is. And there's his assistant going, stop telling them what your plan is. And like, you have to understand that this guy is like, he looks like a kindly old Geppetto. He is meant to look like a harmless dude. And the movie has told you at the very beginning, by the way, this one's evil. <laughs> Teddy corners the commissioner and says he wants the case of the dead dinosaur. And the commissioner's saying, uh, no. You are our token dinosaur PR guy. You are not going to handle a criminal murder case. At which point, Teddy gives him a spiel about how he wants to rise above his limitations and make dreams come true. What limitations? <laughs> He's a dinosaur. He's a dinosaur with human intelligence. What What limit? What could possibly limit this creature? <laughs> He's a dinosaur. <laughs> he rolled all 20s on his character sheet apart from maturity. <laughs> Maturity was his dump stat. <laughs> I've seen the stats for dinosaurs, okay? I've polymorphed into a T-Rex before. What limits this creature? <laughs> also, if, if you take the racism metaphor like and apply it to this, if you had a black character on screen saying, I want to rise above my limitations, you would immediately go, yep. <laughs> not good. <laughs> what limitations are these a metaphor for? What limitations? Tell me what limitations. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's bad. It's real bad. <laughs> so another cop who I refer to in my notes as Ginger Cop, we learn very late that his name is Summer. His name is like Lieutenant Summer. I just refer to him as the blonde guy the whole time. Yeah, we don't know who he is or what his position is, but he takes the commissioner aside. And while he does that. Oh, my God. Teddy wanders over to the buffet again, scatting. He's like, what do we have here, Frenchie? Me, 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 me. Hey, I'm a recovering carnivore. God. He talks so much. Why does he talk so much? Oh, it's bad. God, it's like a talky cartoon where they're like, holy shit, we have voices now. <laughs> Did they book him for too many sessions and felt they had to get their money's worth? <laughs> Did they just like have the movie all set up and they're like, all right, just go. Just keep making sounds. It's like, God, okay, okay, okay. I know we already made a Futurama reference, but it's like the one with Harold Zoid. <laughs> it's like, well, this is a talky. Move your hands! Throw a pie at for God's sake! And so the waiter lifts up, because he said he doesn't want any meat. And so the waiter says, well, we have sweets. Because, okay, 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 okay. It's not that he doesn't want meat. It's that he says he's a recovering carnivore. Why? <laughs> Why is... Because alcoholism, I guess? Why is the... Why... I, oh, oh, God. Okay, I'm gonna... I'll get into this later when we get to the dinosaur club. This is so bad. God. <laughs> And then he says, the, the cookies are one per customer. This is a banquet at a millionaire fundraiser. Why are you saying the cookies are one per customer? There are no customers. He's got a whole table full of cookies. This banquet is $5,000 a plate. I think you can give them unlimited cookies. Unlimited cookies. So Teddy uses his tail to tap the guy on the opposite shoulder. The guy then turns and walks away. <laughs> The tail is occasionally prehensile, but not often. It's either unfelt and destroying things, or so prehensile it could pick a lock or tap a waiter on the shoulder. God. Nobody knows. So the guy just leaves, 
And and Teddy does sort of the cookie monster thing where cookie monster, you know, is supposed to eat cookies, but technically can't because he's just got a little felt mouth. So he just sort of like crumbles cookies and screams. Yeah, he also throws the cookies into his pockets and into his jacket. He is the bad cop in the movie who just found the pile of drug money in the wall and he is stuffing it into every <laughs> pocket and fold of his clothing. Except it's cookies for some godforsaken reason. It's specifically Subway cookies. And this is all in the background while the blonde guy in the commissioner, the blonde guy's like, look, this could be a great PR move. He's a dinosaur. You could make him the first detective on the squad that's a dinosaur. It's going to be great. They're like, okay, great. Let's do it. You're right. This will look really good for my career. And he's like, Teddy, you're going to be a detective. And then one of the things Teddy says while he is just like, just screaming excitedly and making noises is, I got to call my mom. I don't have a mom. (laughs) (laughs) He has the case and they say he's undercover. What? He's not undercover. As what? With who? I don't know. He's not pretending to be anyone. They keep saying the word undercover. I don't think they know what it means. I think they meant plainclothes in that he is not in a uniform or doing a patrol, but is investigating sort of at his own pleasure. So again, They repeatedly say undercover when they mean plain clothes. And then he's so happy about this, he picks up the commissioner bodily off his feet and Summers and squeezes them and bones audibly break and their champagne flutes break. There are a lot of crunching sounds. They're screaming in pain and his tail slaps the waiter in the face again and we blessedly cut away. This movie can't decide whether Teddy is nightmarish or not. (laughs) They also say that he needs to have results by prime time tomorrow, which is like, is that like five o'clock? What? One presumes in time for the nightly news, but... I guess? And then it's like, we also need to give you a partner, a veteran, a pro. And then they say, Coldston. Her name is Coltrane. We've talked about this, you guys. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, okay, so that wasn't just me. No, it was a flub and they kept it in. And then they do a thing where they do a bait and switch. They switch to showing you like a big Rambo guy and like they make a big show of him being very impressive. And then Whoopi pushes him aside and walks into the frame. (laughs) Radiating disdain for the entire production. (laughs) We've already met her. What was this guy doing there with a shotgun and bandoliers of shells and grenades and war paint and a cigar? Again, it's clearly Rambo. Why are you here? Why is Rambo at this fundraiser? What is he going to do at this fundraiser? (laughs) There's a whole other movie that this guy is in that we don't see. And so they're like, Coltrane, we're teaming you up with this dinosaur. And Whoopi's only argument is, but he's a dinosaur like 10 times. (laughs) Repeatedly. Which... Which is actually a very funny reason not to want to work with a detective. (laughs) You will do this. You'll investigate the murder. But he's a dinosaur. If this was a good movie, you could do some world building here and say, like, you know, just throw in some fantasy racism about what dinosaurs can't do or something about why it shouldn't be a dinosaur. But instead, it's just, but he's a dinosaur. Like, she's from a regular cop movie. (laughs) She does not know, like, anything about this world. And she's just been transposed into this movie and said, this dinosaur is your partner. And she's like, but he's a dinosaur. I don't come from a place where dinosaurs can be detectives. (laughs) All right. I have a bit here from the oral history to read to you guys that is is relevant at this point. So this is from Bruce, who is the head puppeteer on the Theodore Rex suit. What was Whoopi like? 
Well, let me tell you about my first day on set. So I'm there controlling the dinosaur and I'm performing the hell out of the eye blank because the rest of the mechanics are busted. (laughs) Here I am on the first day of my first feature film and nothing's working and they're just yelling at me to keep going. So Whoopi looks right at me and she shouts, is this fucking thing going to (laughs) work? She's staring right at me and I just wither and say, we're trying. And she goes, it better than she storms off the set. So I go back to my little honey wagon. I don't know if you've ever been in one of these things, but it's just a toilet with a really stinky bed. And I'm in the fetal position saying to myself, it's over. My career is over. I'm just going to go home to my wife and have to tell her what happened. Wolfie yelled at me and I'm never going to work in any town or any plant known to man ever again. But it turns out that once we got things going and Whoopi realized where she was, she kind of took me under her wing. She noticed I was in this little crappy trailer playing the lead alongside her in the movie. And she said, let me get you a real trailer. So she got me a trailer and we started talking and we became great friends. She was amazing to my family and my son throughout all of Theodore Rex. Oh. Well, at least she wasn't taking out her frustration on the puppeteer. Yeah. It's not his fault she had to be in this movie. Uh-huh. And again, she's right. He should have top billing here. He's the guy on set with her this whole time. And he's stuck in a terrible suit where he can't stand up. And it smells terrible. Mm-hmm. They're both stuck in terrible suits where they can't move. <laughs> so right at the end, the commissioner says, you're not a speciesist, at which point I know writers who use subtext. They're cowards. <laughs> but then he throws in a line here. It fascinates me more than the rest of the movie because he then says that he'll double her commission, which implies that cops get paid money for how many criminals they catch. <laughs> hmm. And that that is a fascinating idea of a, a horrible nightmare city where you refer to a cop as a gun because they're paid for how many they bring in. Movie doesn't have time for that. We need more tail gags. <laughs> but he's a dinosaur. So Summer the Ginger Cop reports to Kane that Edge killed Oliver Rex so he wouldn't talk. And as he exposits this, Juliet Landau calls him a little squid, which I'm sure you could sell on Cameo. <laughs> Yeah, can we talk about the fact that they do this little debriefing in Kane's car, the license plate of which says Almighty? Almighty. <laughs> <laughs> I know writers who use subtext. And they're, they're all, all cowards. cowards. <laughs> yes, bring me the subtext hammer. It's implied that, or directly stated, I should not say implied, this movie does not imply anything, that Ginger <laughs> Cop has been promised a spot on the arc and as a result has been covering up stuff. For Kane, he chose to put Teddy and Coltrane on to tank the case because Coltrane is, quote, burnt out. And Teddy is, he's a dinosaur. (laughs) He's a dinosaur, though. And the rocket is going to go off at midnight tomorrow. Also, the Dracula's driving the car. Yeah, he he is the sort of the second in command or third in command under Drusilla. I don't know. I don't know. He's driving the car. It's a nebulous organization. And he mentions that, like, he wasn't able to he wasn't able to do something. Oh, yes. Because both of those guys are dead now. Yeah, basically they wanted the rollerblading guy's body, but they only got his little weird golden snitch necklace thing. He refers to this happening because Zapheads, the weird little greebly guys, he's like, I need you to clone me better ones because they're dumb. They're real dumb, which true. Uh, And they even go so far into the metaphor as to say, don't call Zapheads people. They belong in cages. We don't know what a Zaphead is. They're just sort of guys. (laughs) Just fucked up little guys. <laughs> and Kane turns to this Dracula and he's like, You know how I feel about failure. 
It reeks of imperfection. That comes out of nowhere and goes nowhere. I don't know if y'all have seen the dinosaurs you've made, but they're pretty imperfect, my dude. <laughs> have you met Teddy Rex? Your crowning achievement? Your crowning achievement, my guy? <laughs> so he puts Bud Court the spinner on the job to follow Teddy and Coltrane, but says, just make sure they don't get too close to anything. Don't tip them off that you're following them. Don't interact with them. Just let us know if they're close so we can move stuff, which is a reasonable request. You know, be a screen. Keep the cops away from me. Teddy invites Whoopi into his weird car. It doesn't have seatbelts. It has roller coaster guards. It has roller coaster safety harnesses. <laughs> He presses a button and the seat goes up and she bonks her head on the ceiling. This is what we're dealing with with this movie. And, you know, again, whoopee, seven million dollars, seven million dollars, seven million dollars. <laughs> the thing that's kind of fascinating to me about we like we all know this is bad, but the weird part is, is that like every action movie in the 90s had all this weird slapstick in it. It's sort of like how every action movie now has like snappy Joss Whedon pop culture reference dialogue. Mm -hmm. This has bits. This movie has bits. They're bad bits. They're bad bits. So 20 years from now, people are going to be looking at the Marvel movies coming out right now and be like, why do they keep making jokes based on 20-year-old pop culture references? <laughs> it's like, you know, us watching Looney Tunes now and being like, why is Bugs Bunny making references to Genie with the light brown hair? It's like, we don't know what that is. <laughs> oh, boy. I can't wait for another Liberace joke. I do wish my brother George was here. <laughs> so they said they need an autopsy, but they're not going to go to the morgue because the morgue is not set up to autopsy a dinosaur. So they have a light bulb moment and say, Natural History Museum. So they go to a different museum. There's an elliptical edit when they leave, though, that looks like Teddy goes to pull out of the parking lot. He smashes into a statue. They make some, oh, I didn't know that was there, Lola. And then they get out and they're at the new museum that looks exactly like the old museum. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. So that was it. So they did go to a different location? Yes. Okay. If you've seen the front of the Field Museum, you've seen the front of these yeah. two museums. They're slightly different columns, but other than that, they're the exact same location. They look the same. And also, the museum that they were holding the fundraiser in was clearly a natural history museum because there were all these displays with, like, stuffed predators and stuff in little fake enclosures. That's a natural history museum. What's happening? By the way, that was also a place that had more socialites talking about raccoons than I have ever seen in real life. <laughs> Because they're all being like, the raccoons are back. As they're going through the skeletons in this natural history museum, Teddy gets to point out that fossils creep me out, which is the equivalent of a human walking through a morgue. But he also says that he can feel his ancestors. Again, dinosaur race memory, telepathy, and empathy. And that his ancestors are speaking to him, telling him, follow my heart. Do the right thing. The usual. This is never touched on again. Ever, ever, ever. Just, I don't understand. Is this a joke? Or is he really just hearing the voices of his ancestors? Yeah, you would think this would be building up to something that, like the climax of the movie is based on. No, this is never discussed. A dead Pachycephalosaurus is watching you jack it. Ah! <laughs> so they get what one presumes is the autopsy room. The dead dinosaur is already there, but also there is, Annie, do you want to say it? The head dinosaurologist. Oh my god. <laughs> No, we have words. We have words for these things already. Head 
dinosaurologist. And if you're being charitable, which I don't want to be, you could say that, well, a paleontologist studies ancient dead animals and a zoologist studies alive animals. So maybe something in between would be required for these neogenic nightmares that are walking our streets. But <laughs> dinosaurologist? Yeah, no, paleobiologist is the word you're looking for there, movie. That's the one. There you go. But she has not examined the body closely. She, I really haven't had a chance to look at him. But he died of an explosion close to his snout. And yet he still has a snout. Mm-hmm. He's got a whole snout. Yes, but she hasn't looked at him. All right, so is now the point where we got to talk about the dinosaur religion? <laughs> I missed entirely the part about the dinosaur religion. Oh, my religion. God. Okay, so... Teddy asks for a moment. Hold on a second. Oh, yeah, Mac? What? I don't want to hear about dinosaur religion. I am out of here! Mac? Mac? <laughs> Mac just left. <laughs> it was the dinosaur religion. She couldn't take it. It's too much. It was dinosaurologist. Honestly, she was the luckiest of us. So dinosaurologist and dinosaur religion. It's implied like he's going to say a prayer. Right? Like, because he's looking at this body and he's clearly disturbed by this dead dinosaur. I thought he was doing a reading. He does, but it's implied this is the first dinosaur murder. No one's killed a dinosaur before. And that's why there's everyone's like a bit weirded out by this process. So it's implied that he's bothered by seeing a dead one of his kind. He's going to say a prayer or something. Uh, so then he puts his little hands on the dead dinosaur. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he, he moans, and he gurgles, and he makes what are clearly sex noises. Oh, God. He makes the worst sounds. He's already made so many bad sounds throughout this movie, but these are the worst. This scene was utterly incomprehensible to me. <laughs> I could not see what was happening. I could not understand what I was hearing. <laughs> it's like if a whale was dying and f***ing at the same time. <laughs> Just imagine someone trying to speak whale. To order a pizza while having sex. And taking a dump. <laughs> but it's like a really hard dump, so he's having a difficult time pushing it out. So then he pulls a shard of butterfly wing out of the dead dinosaur's nose. I guess that... Yes. How... What just happened? We're going to send it back to the precinct to have it reconstructed. What? 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 What, dis- what just happened? Why did he put... His hands on the dinosaur make horrible sounds and then pulls a butterfly wing from the nose. They also talk about how dinosaurs have tail prints, which is the scales are unique on the tail. They put it onto a holofax. It was the 90s, ladies and gentlemen. And ID the dinosaur as Oliver and his spouse is listed as Molly Rex. A nightclub singer. He's a nightclub singer and he reacts to this name like he's just been told that, oh, I don't know. What's a film star that would make you react this way? Anybody? Kim Basinger. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. This guy was married to Kim Basinger. And this is the part where the movie becomes – it just becomes Roger Rabbit at this point. Because they go to the Extinct Species Club. Oh, God. So you know how one dinosaur person has been really bad? What if we had an entire club, and including a Styracosaurus dressed like a pimp? Who's going, hey, ooh, ah, ooh, ah, ooh, ah, ooh, ah, ooh, ah, and popping his shoulders up and down. You know, it turns out that Teddy Rex is not the only dinosaur who makes noises constantly. Oh, my God. It's 
It's very bad. God. My main takeaway from this scene is that, like, the cocktail waitress they meet the moment they walk in is like a drag queen dinosaur. That's my only takeaway from this scene. <laughs> That's the only thing that makes sense. And she's a very Jewish Spinosaurus. She's peppering Yiddish into her dialogue. She's, he asked for the tour. Like, this is a normal thing that happens at a nightclub. Let's give us a tour of the nightclub. They sit down at a table. It's basically like a hibachi grill in the middle, but it's just like a little pond. He takes out some stuff from it and he's like, oh, do you want some? It's hydroponic seaweed with krill. And it's like, it's so healthy. There's no added chemicals or anything. And, 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 and look, 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 look. I am pretty sure that Tyrannosaurus was an obligate carnivore, like a predator and a scavenger. There's still lots of debate on whether or not it was fully predator, fully scavenger, or a mixture of both. But a carnivore, there are no teeth in that mouth that we have discovered that could possibly eat seaweed. <laughs> what? And considering that he loves cookies, which are full of delicious artificial things. Cookies. Hydroponic seaweed. I don't understand. I don't understand. And Whoopi Goldberg is like, why don't you eat meat? And he says he's on the wagon and I don't, you can just eat livestock. Yeah. And he says, it's not like the old days where there are just herds of duckbills roaming around everywhere. And he kind of gets lost in a reverie and it comes back and starts yelling at her because humans have destroyed the planet environmentally, which I don't know, man. Is that, is, is that your message? What is your message movie? I'm sure even if cows don't exist in this space future, there's a meat substitute that would do the same. I don't understand. He could just eat a hamburger. Yeah, I feel like he started to explain why he doesn't eat meat and then immediately got distracted and didn't. I don't know why. <laughs> I just, uh, he only eats cookies and hydroponic seaweed with krill. His teeth can't do that. <laughs> we skipped over the hot character find of 1995, and that is Greg, the protoceratops at the oh, table God. next to him, who stares at Whoopi Goldberg, shakes a little, and sort of giggles and wolf whistles to himself. Greg's a pervert, everybody. Greg's a sex pest. Yeah, Greg's a sex pest. I don't like Greg. <laughs> the people keep saying, oh, yeah, don't worry about Greg. He likes smooth skins. And it's like, oh, oh, it's uncomfortable. Don't like it. To the point where Whoopi ends the scene by saying, I want to get out of Greg's eyeline, which fair. <laughs> and he's like, oh, that's weird. I guess it's mostly just that you don't like people. No, this creepy dinosaur is making eyes at me. If he had more ability to move his tongue in that suit, he would be licking his little beak. It's bad. So everybody shut up. Carol Kane is here. <laughs> Lord have mercy. Carol, goddamn Kane, is Molly Rex, the nightclub singer. She's basically Teddy in drag. She's wearing a Skeksis collar around her neck. <laughs> she is, though. She sings I'm No Angel, the Mae West song from the 1933 movie. So this, this universe has Mae West. This universe has Mae West. I don't think Mae West was dead in 1995, but if she was not dead, she probably sat up from her pile of exhausted, much younger lovers and went, wait a minute, that's my song. <laughs> <laughs> oh. She like works the crowd as she's singing this song. And every time she goes by a dinosaur, Teddy included, they make a noise and not a small noise. Hada! Which, oh my god. That's what their boners sound like. <laughs> this is a deeply horny room of anthropomorphic dinosaur puppets. <laughs> That's the pull quote right there. A deeply horny room of anthropomorphic dinosaur puppets. God. Oh, and so Whoopi is hiding at the bar. 
I've been to these nights where you're supporting a friend and you're just like, I need something strong, please. At which point, a Ceratosaurus puppet. I think it's a Pachycephalosaurus. It's got those big teeth, though. Maybe, but it has the big head with the little spines around the edge. Oh, no, you're right. It's that guy. No, the Pachycephalosaurus is on her right. Yeah, no, they modeled these after real dinosaurs, <laughs> by the way. I'm going to find the line because it's it's like the only genuine laugh I got out of this movie. Hold on. During this whole musical number, like there's this guy with teeth and then there's like the pachycephalosaurus that just belches oh, yes. in her face several times. We keep cutting back to her getting belched at by a pachycephalosaurus. I don't understand. So she's like grossed out and like staring at all these gross dinosaurs around her and she turns and she comes face to face with this thing's teeth which are as big as her face and there are about four dozen of them at which point i believe in my heart Whoopi goldberg herself breaks character and cracks up and at which point she treats him like an overachieving lech and says you think you're gonna get somebody not tonight buddy and she leaves and it's the only funny moment in this entire movie <laughs> I have to believe that that was improvised. I have to believe that that was ad-libbed. It's the only point of joy that seems to spark from Whoopi Goldberg's face this entire film. It's up there with the biker approaching her in Sister Act and he goes, you want to dance, sister? And she goes, why? You don't have any rhythm. (laughs) (laughs) It's great. (sighs) So Teddy gets invited backstage to meet Molly Rex. And it's explained that Oliver wasn't her husband. He was her roommate and he worked at New Eden And again, because of the incredibly compressed timeline of this movie, the funeral's tomorrow. She only just found out that he died this second. And she goes, funeral's tomorrow at noon. Oh, yeah. And Whoopi Goldberg is like, wait, 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 hold on. We literally just told you he was dead. How how is the funeral already tomorrow? This movie might be shitty, actually. And they're like, no, no, it's just like that. We just do that. We just have very quick funerals. It's fine. Don't worry about it. Now, in a real noir movie, this would be a plot point indicating that Molly is like the femme fatale, that she's like a secretly a villain or something. And yet. You would think this movie would be setting up Molly as a femme fatale. She even goes behind like the Asian screen in order to undress and like throw her clothes over the top as Teddy gets more and more horny and Whoopi gets more and more uncomfortable. We watch a dinosaur undress, people. It is bad. There are corsets. I don't know how they work. (laughs) How do her little hands undo the corset? She has a big head and little (laughs) arms. Teddy brought her the flower garnish off of their food and like gives it to her as like, oh, big fan, here's a bunch of flowers. And then after they leave, God, she eats the flowers. (laughs) They spend this whole thing, like, flirting, and the way that they do it is, like, the actors in the suits just sort of sway their suits around while they are just sort of talking. They look like they both have to pee really bad. This is a visually chaotic scene. (laughs) It is upsetting. It's like one of those Michael Bay Transformer fights, but with dinosaur prostheses. also do find out that she and Teddy both got like the flash about Oliver Rex dying because I guess like we're just proving that dinosaurs are all empaths. As they walk out, Whoopi Goldberg does a thing that happens a couple times this movie. She accuses him of being glando. Or glandoism. It's, I don't, I think it's code for horny. It's a special word they made up in this movie so the dinosaur could be horny. I don't care for this. At this point, they split up because Whoopi Goldberg gets a notice about the unidentified clone that she got the corpse for. And she's like, actually, I hate everything. I hate this. I hate you. Here's my excuse for leaving. Good night. I'm going to do my actual job now. Goodbye. (laughs) Yeah. Then we meet Knife. Why do you hire a coroner named Knife? 
<laughs> You're asking for trouble at this point. And they make extra care to shoot him really weirdly. He's in like the middle of this long hallway and there's fog everywhere with like weird backlighting. And he greets her with, how's your rewiring? Reminder, she's a cyborg. The movie has not explained this yet. Throughout the whole thing, this movie keeps asking like like she is back on the force after something. We never find out what that is. Yeah, and when she came back, apparently she was more cybernetic than before. Again, we're never explained. Uh, but meanwhile, we don't have time for this because Knife the Coroner is saying shit like, the genetic code, the map of our destiny, we're all slaves to DNA. <laughs> Should we have given you this job? <laughs> Again, this this guy and Rambo are in, a, are in their own movie somewhere. <laughs> They find out that the clone was coded, or encrypted rather, but the ID numbers on his molecules say that he belonged to New Eden, so Cain, and his name was Adam. Which, again, all cowards. <laughs> They're all Me cowards. Sorry, can we go back to can we go back to ID numbers on his molecules? How? <laughs> Explain to me how. Very small magnifying glass. <laughs> They also missed this very easy clue, which is he just has a brand on his fingernail that just is the New Eden company brand, I guess. That's just some nail art, I'm sure. He's a big fan. He's just got a logo on his fingernail. So meanwhile, the Zapheads, our giggling little gremlin guys, have been following Teddy and they ignore Spinner's orders and they jump on his car and start ripping it to pieces. For reasons. As Teddy yells at them, please don't do this. <laughs> <laughs> Please don't. Guys, come on. Teddy, you are a police officer. Come on, guys. <laughs> Be cool. There's like an elliptical edit where we cut away and we come back and the car is like wrecked. Like it's been left in a bad neighborhood and everything's been stripped out of it. And it's covered in whipped cream. Yeah, because apparently he hit the fire extinguisher that we didn't see because they wanted the gag to, to be that it's covered in whipped cream, but they couldn't afford to spray whipped cream. So... <laughs> Yeah. Whoopi chews him out and says, well, why don't you use your gun? And he says, oh, well, well, I don't believe in violence. And she says, what may be the most prescient thing in the movie. Yeah. What? You don't believe in violence and yet you want to be a police person? Hey, <laughs> it's the year 2022. We're calling for 1995. Yikes, my dudes. <laughs> so Spinner reports back to Edge and he says, quote, they've made some credits selling the car parts on the black market already. This movie is so short. They apparently turned those car parts around in 20 minutes and they're already back. And Edge is really mad at Spinner because you're supposed to only follow them. Like Rambo, he was only supposed to take pictures. And so then they <laughs> freeze gas the zap heads? They like pull two of them up on like a rack? I, I don't know. The result is that Teddy needs a new car. He needs a dino safe car. And so he goes to the desk sergeant and then he just inexplicably screams at him. And when he screams at him, one of the eyelids on the puppet visibly stops working. <laughs> yeah, they start to do this bit from here on out that suggests that maybe Teddy has a short temper. This is not something that has happened before. It does not really seem to happen consistently. Yeah, if they were cleverer, they would be saying, well, this is his bestial nature trying to override the anthro part of his personality. Never stated. Ever, ever. No. Ever. The commissioner chews him out. I've never heard of a cop car being stripped with a cop in it, which you've not been to several American cities. <laughs> so then they get into an argument. Whoopi steps up and defends Teddy and says, if anyone's disappointed the department, it's me. I mean, yes. And she then 
points out that you can't judge a dino by his scales. What? What? I do recall this. I did manage to get this very clearly in the video I watched. And I also seem to recall that everyone in the scene seemed to agree simultaneously that that was a meaningless thing to say. <laughs> and just everyone pretends it didn't happen. Even Richard Roundtree is like, what? <laughs> it's clearly supposed to be a moment where like the gruff cop now finds herself feeling affection for her new partner and wants to like have his back but it's played more like she just said something completely meaningless and then everybody was like what and she was like honestly i have no idea what that was let's just keep going summers the ginger cop says you still have the magic but you have 12 hours or else again i think that means it's six in the morning if it's meant to be before prime time the day of the rocket launch that's launching at midnight again time what is time we just don't know we just don't know we have a clothing montage no before that oh no they go to sergeant alaric who has been working on the weapon fragments and has physically reconstructed the entire butterfly in golden plastic from the tiny corner fragment that they had it's the future this is that scene from the dark knight where he pulls a bullet out of a wall and has the computer reconstruct the fingerprint on it we also linger for a while and a bunch of guides on a big shuffleboard grid it's meant to be like those like war boards that you see in like movies like midway you got guys with long poles like moving around troop movements and stuff it does just look like curling we are at the briar ladies and gentlemen in the background the crime briar it looks like someone who's never actually seen curling and has had it described to them (laughs) so yes clothing montage teddy needs a new outfit he needs new clothes because he's undercover as what? <laughs> Where? <laughs> I don't know. But he goes to what appears to be a hollow booth because he stands in the middle and has some sassy dialogue with the lady at the desk and she types in a bunch of random things and it's duck amuck for a little while. Like complete with some Looney Tune sounds that are really just Mel Blanc making Roadrunner noises. So he like gets a, a horned helmet and a, you know, like a Wagnerian opera soprano outfit. They start playing Ride of the Valkyries and then he starts singing, I think, Toreador from Carmen? <laughs> no, he actually says, kill the wabbit in the middle of it. No. 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 <laughs> You're not allowed to do that movie. You can't point to a better movie that we should be watching. <laughs> oh, we could just be watching Duck Amuck for like, what, ten times? I got that Bugs Money and Roadrunner movie saved to my iTunes. We could watch that shit right now. <laughs> but instead, they switch to a Mexican bandito. And he does an accent. Like a racist bandito caricature. And like, it is only a gift from some divine being that he doesn't say we don't, don't need, need no, no stinking, stinking badges. badges. God. <laughs> Humphrey Bogart's estate is very litigious. <sighs> then they put him in like a Hawaiian shirt and a grass skirt. Yep, and then in a Scottish kilt. And then Whoopi walks in, and she's like, no, 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 he's undercover, he's a cop, you gotta make him look like a real cop. What does undercover mean to you? So they give him a hoodie and a leather jacket and jeans and sneakers and says, you look like a real cop, and because it's 1995, he does a right set Fred bit and says he's too sexy for his clothes. Uh, I don't want- I don't- how is this distinguished at all from the clothing that Teddy was wearing before this point? He had a different sweater on? Ooh, ooh, I can explain that, Kit. It's not. <laughs> it doesn't at all. Is that the same sweater? I don't know. He had a His- scarf before. 
He's also still wearing this ring that they made a very important show of him putting on at the beginning of the movie when he was getting ready to go. They stole this ring from in the name of the rose. It's like a big signet ring looking thing. The kind of thing you wouldn't actually wear. It says TR on it. It's there to stamp wax. It is not there to be a fashion accessory. So his new car, it's a garbage truck. It's a literal garbage truck. Although the garbage truck does say trans rights. It is pink and baby blue. <laughs> Cannot stress enough that this is a literal garbage truck. Teddy does a lot of complaining just off screen so they don't have to show the puppet that he can't sit down because he'll get gushy and it's so gross and it stinks and blah, blah, blah. But then there's inexplicably a hole for him to stick his head through and talk to Whoopi as she's driving. Garbage trucks don't have that. Garbage trucks are designed not to have that. You know what trash collectors love to do? They love to just turn their heads around and check in on the trash as they drive around. <laughs> so then they go to a Mighty Ducks movie. <laughs> but like, if Mighty Ducks took place in Mad Max. Yeah, so there's like crushed cars to make walls, and it's been spray painted. Like a rec center that's trying to be cool and be like, we're down with kids. We've got graffiti on the walls that says stuff like, say no to drugs and stay in school. <laughs> Tobacco is wacko. And again, they built this goddamn set. They built this goddamn set. Every bit of it. Man, I could have been watching Mighty Ducks. <laughs> Y'all could have seen The Flying V like three times by now. Uh, like three times? Yeah, I could have watched like at minimum three Flying Vs by this point. <laughs> Sebastian is like really excited to see Whoopi and he asked her to come at which point she's like, your dad's not here, is he? No, 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 no. Okay, so it's not a setup. And he gave her a bedazzled badge case. In arts and crafts at camp, he made a little wallet. It's a little wallet. It's bedazzled. And he gives it to her. Because she's back on the force from not being on the force. Whoopi is trying to play this as... I am touched by this. I don't want to show that I'm touched by this. I'm conflicted. And so she is playing that on her face. But they linger on her so long, it just makes it look like, again, she's uncomfortable to be standing there because she probably is. Seven million dollars. <laughs> Meanwhile, Teddy dances with a bunch of children and scores three goals with his tail by smacking three tennis balls. Who is this movie for? They're so impressed by him. Who is this movie for? <laughs> what happened to that dog Whoopi picked up off the street? We never see it again. What happened to Teddy's dog? I have a terrible theory about the dog Whoopi picked up off the street. Oh no. So she hands it off to the kid, right? And says, put this in my apartment. The kid's dad runs the mystery meat cart. Oh, oh no. no. <laughs> oh no. That dog never made it to the apartment. <laughs> <laughs> so Edge delivers a mini disc to Kane. Remember mini discs, kids? They're like CDs, but even more future. And expensive. And it has a video of the scene we just watched, which <laughs> makes me ask, how fast did that bit of physical media get there? And it had to be hand delivered. It's not like they've got pneumatic tubes around the city or something. Ain't no Dropbox in Dinosaur City, you guys. They tied it to a bird? I don't know. <laughs> Messenger pigeon. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So then they drive up to the new Eden building, which, by the way, just has two giant testicles up front. <laughs> it's just got these two pillars with these two veiny testicles on top. We get out of the truck and then we have to do this whole thing about getting into a different moving vehicle that the dinosaur can also fit in. And I just want to note that there is a real line in this movie that just says, can you just slide your butt? That's great. <laughs> More tail gags. We watch this puppeteer climb into a truck in real time. 
And they're driven around, and it's said through exposition that New Eden is the only place on Earth with live animals, except for alleys that have dogs in them. They've got two of every animal. Then why did I just see an elephant with a baby elephant? <laughs> What's that implying? What's going to happen to that baby elephant? What are they raising it for? Them and the little dog are on a farm upstate. It's fine. <laughs> Don't worry about it. The camera whips past Drusilla, who is saying things like, freeze the elephants first. Midnight is only five hours away. Oh, hello, tour. Hello. I wasn't being a supervillain. <laughs> what? Nothing. You're telling me it's seven o'clock in the evening right now? Oh, that means it is prime time right now. <laughs> yes. The evening news has come and gone. It's really sunny outside, too. So it's, yeah. What is time? So they meet Kane, who once again gives a super villain monologue about special enzymes in ice fish that allow them to be frozen and thawed years later. And if you inject it, anyone can be frozen and reanimated whenever. And these two police officers in the room go, cool, that's science for you. Yeah, he's like, huh, <laughs> isn't that neat? <laughs> isn't that just neat for no reason? It's fun. Also, when he greets Whoopi, he's like, nice to meet you. Oh, that's distressing. Oh, boy. Mm -hmm. Also, you might be picturing a regular fish tank when we're talking about fish. It's an orb. He's got an orb of fish. A two meter orb with like girders around it, holding it up with these tiny fish that when he presses a button, the whole thing freezes into an ice cube and unfreezes magically. This man has been spending time pondering his orb. <laughs> That's not appropriate enrichment for a fish environment. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Maybe being frozen and unfrozen just provides them with enough stimulation. Yeah. Just a fish just every once in a while going, ah. Although I would not put that past this movie with its many noisy puppets. <laughs> so they question Kane, who admits that Adam and Oliver, Adam the clone and Oliver the dinosaur, work together in species data and they rescue endangered species. But then he just tells them to leave and they leave. <laughs> They go through this whole thing of, like, arriving at this place, of seeing this facility. They ask one question, and then they go. And the villain tells them what they want to know. Yeah. Yeah, they work together. These two guys that are dead. Anyway. I don't think it's connected. And they go, yeah, it doesn't seem connected. Thanks, boss. <laughs> Bye, dad. So meanwhile, Sebastian has found an arcade machine. Hey, remember the last Starfighter? The last project <laughs> that this writer worked on? That was literally nine years ago at this timeline, and he hasn't sold anything else except for a terrible movie about a science project. There's an arcade machine here making Pac-Man noises. And so he's like, hey, what's this? And so you think that maybe he'd get caught by some kind of like super like technological trap or something. Nope. There's just a guy inside. A guy just bursts out of it. It's <laughs> just a guy in there. He literally busts through the fake screen. <laughs> He's just been sitting there waiting, making beep-boop noises for a child. <laughs> and he pops out, grabs the kid, and pulls the kid inside, and he is kidnapped somehow. Like, bleh, it's me! I want, like, a two-minute loop of that shot just to cabinet ban my lemon demon. <laughs> <laughs> and what's funny, though, is that if you see inside, there's actual, like, speaker tweeters and stuff up around the inside, like there is on a real arcade cabinet. They hollowed out a real arcade cabinet to make this wily e. Coyote-ass trap. <laughs> <laughs> so we're back at the Extinct Species Club. I know everyone's excited for that. 
<sighs> oh, God. So it turns out that dinosaur funerals, you liquefy the dinosaur into fertilizer so that everyone can take some home. Now, I also might point out that this is the first time a dinosaur has been murdered. And if Teddy is hypothetically one of the prototypes, this is the first time a dinosaur has died. <laughs> they just had that funeral ritual ready to go. <laughs> already set with that. And oh, this funeral. Remember how we talked about dinosaur religion before and how it's just moaning? (laughs) There's a howling extra at this funeral who is like those Craigslist ads you read for professional mourners. Yeah, you have hired howlers here. Kane is also at this funeral, by the way. He has, I guess they just left at the same time to go to the funeral. Yeah. And if you ever wanted to hear Tina the Spinosaurus say in a very Bronx accent, she speaketh the truth, testify. (laughs) And so Kane's there to give a speech and he stands up and he says, I am to blame for Oliver's murder. No, stop saying the quiet part loud. (laughs) Because I brought the dinos back to life. But don't worry, everyone. There's a better world coming. Stop saying the supervillain stuff out loud. <laughs> <laughs> and then I just, yeah, that was a normal thing for our dad to say. Let's just start banging drums and howling and dancing. And grunting. An entire room undulates as they hit every button on the puppy control. <laughs> this, this movie is just the dumbest cops ever trying to catch the dumbest supervillain ever. <laughs> oh, Lord of mercy. Surrounded by the dumbest dinosaurs ever. Yes. Oh, and then Teddy's like, oh, I'm going to walk Molly home. Keep in mind, he said, I'm going to walk Molly home, which usually means that you go to Molly's home. No, they walk to Teddy's home. And Coltrane is like, I'll give you an hour. Wait a minute. They said it was five hours to midnight in the previous scene. The funeral was at noon. What is time? I don't know. It was 7 p.m. a minute ago. Edge delivered Sebastian to Kane, at which point Sebastian tells him, stuff it, Pantlo. Which is not an insult. Yeah, I just have it written down. Stuff at Pantload is pretty good, actually. That is like peak 90s teen movie character dialogue. It rivals Skate Man for the phrase, what the do you care, pick me? (laughs) (laughs) He bites Edge and we zoom in. We do a crash zoom on Edge screaming. We go down his throat. It's unpleasant. And that's just the end of that scene. We're done. We're done there. For a prolonged portion of this movie, I thought this child has killed that man. (laughs) (laughs) His one weakness, the meaty bit under his thumb. Honestly, I would have preferred dwelling on this child killing a Dracula than the scene that follows this, which is maybe milk and cookies is the euphemism for dinosaurs sex. Coffee doesn't mean coffee. Coffee means sex. Because he's like, here's my apartment. Molly, do you want to come in for some milk and cookies? And she's like, oh, I'm a fool for milk and cookies. And then she walks in and he starts yelling cookies over and over again like a chant. He's like, oh, cookies, cookies. And oh, look, okay. We've already talked about how potentially young Teddy might be with his toys around his apartment. He then offers to show his date, quote, his car collection. And he holds up a car. A little pullback car's. He's like, I got a gray one and a blue one. He's literally six, but also he's trying to get laid. He's got a Hot Wheels. Yeah, it's uncomfortable. Who is this movie for? Look, I know that there are lots of stunted nerds who are like, hello, person I want to have sex with. Would you like to see my Legos? Hey, hey, 
hey, I may have just edited an episode that involved <laughs> a transmetal two Megatron. That yeah, that involved a certain someone. <laughs> mm-hmm. I withdraw my question. Mm-hmm. They dance. It's awful. Zippy hates Molly the same way he hates Teddy, but Zippy dances. Everyone makes noise and there's tail gags everywhere. It's extremely unpleasant. I don't, they, oh, I, I like, I, I made a note specifically because I had just the worst twisted scowl on my face watching this scene, like, all on its own. This wasn't for oh. anyone. I was alone in a room. He also gives her his ring. We have this whole thing where he gives her his ring and he just leaves her at his apartment. I don't know why. Molly is French for some reason, for half a line. Maybe I don't know. Maybe Carol Kane was workshopping some accents. I don't know. <laughs> She's just trying to make some of this worthwhile. Oh, bless you, Carol Kane. You're trying. And meanwhile, Whoopi is trying to make Glando a thing. Stop trying to make Glando a thing. It's not going to happen. Stop trying to make Glando happen. And while we're doing this also, the camera keeps tilting from side to side like it's drunk. Is there an explanation for this? You know there's not. (sighs) I presume they're drunk. (laughs) When Teddy, post-coital Teddy, and Coltrane are bonding. Oh, don't say that. He says that Coltrane. Don't say that. (laughs) Don't tell me that Teddy has held sex. (laughs) Coltrane is like an ankylosaur type because tough exterior and soft and gushy on the inside. Teddy, you don't eat meat anymore. Stop, just stop, just stop, stop saying words to her. She just wants to make $7 million. (laughs) (laughs) We have the one callback to the conjugation gag from the beginning because Teddy comes out dancing and he talks about how they were dancing and she says, well, look, we need to go get this, make this work. Don't tip, don't twirl, don't swirl, just walk like a man. Sort of. Because he's a dinosaur. So we have to go now because we found out who makes the butterfly. Because the butterfly wing is a butterfly bomb. And the men who made it, quote, in techno kill circles. Techno kill. He's known as the toy maker. He lives somewhere in the ninja grid. He's in the ninja grid, you guys. (laughs) I can't believe this movie contains the phrase ninja grid and doesn't rule. Right? Know, right? There's so many parts about this movie that should rule. This movie's about a dinosaur. Come on. He lives in the ninja grid and he's a techno kill wizard called the toy maker who uses robot bugs to blow people up. Why does this not rule? This is completely incidental to the plot, by the way. He runs a dead storage company as a cover called Dragon Tail Dead Storage somewhere in the ninja grid. First off, it turns out the toy maker is Asian, so that's not going to go well with any visuals in the rest of this scene in the Ninja Grid. But then we also finally talk about this cyborg stuff that Whoopi Goldberg's character has going on, and they say that she's Bioware. <laughs> <laughs> she makes narrative-driven RPGs, but hasn't made a good one in a while? I guess so. Maybe the reason that she was off force for a while was because she got really wrapped up in making Anthem. We all know how that went. Not well. This Chinese actor playing a Japanese toy maker, he's making bugs. The bugs are bombs. They're just bug bombs. They're just bug bombs. We also have a little bit of sneaking where Teddy says tiptoe, 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 tiptoe. As he sneaks. And I, I I want him to be dead. Oh, yeah. Also, a dog barks at him and he yells boo and the dog is scared. Because there are no live animals anywhere outside of New Eden. But don't worry, and there are more tail gags all throughout this. And also fart jokes. Also fart jokes. 
oh my god, there is an extended, extended sequence of fart jokes. I do have a point that I do want to highlight here. Before they even actually meet the toy maker, there's an extended bit with a horrible little puppet in a bag. Oh, Oh, yeah. That Whoopi has to argue with. Yeah, 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 yeah. While she's standing next to a man in a smelly dinosaur costume. And I think, I think I pinpointed it. I think that's the worst part of the entire movie for Whoopi Goldberg. (laughs) (laughs) When we say a puppet, we mean like the puppet you'd put on for a show at a kid's party. Like he's a little hand puppet. And they ask, who are you? I'm the guy from the bag. Because he comes out of a carpet bag. Whoopi attempts to strong arm a puppet. But when that puppet does arrive, he does say the second IMDb quote of that memorable quotes page, which is, welcome to dead storage. We're going to die. What? What? (laughs) Yeah, that's what he says when he pops out of his bag. Welcome to dead storage. We're going to die. IMDb memorable quote. But basically, Whoopi and him have like almost like a your mama joke battle where it's like, oh, yeah, I'll snatch you to pieces. Ooh, I'd love that. And then the guy in the bag farts. (laughs) And they call him a zit and they threaten him. She has to argue with a small puppet, a hand puppet in a carpet bag. And so they threaten him and he yells for Fuzzy. And Fuzzy is a caterpillar puppet that when Teddy sees him, he says, a hairy hot dog, which is unpleasant. This is the lowest point in the entire movie. I'm calling my audible. This is the worst. This is the bit that stuck with me. This entire sequence, I remembered as being much earlier in the movie and much longer. We are in the back half of this movie. Like, we are in the back third of this movie. And they've introduced all of these new puppets, this new character. But don't worry, it's only going to last about seven minutes and cost so much money. Oh, my God. Because they finally meet the toy maker. And you think, I don't know, maybe he's dressed like, I don't know, like a whimsical guy or something. He's like a samurai. He calls... Teddy a dragon. That's how you know he's Japanese. Uh, Even though the actor is Chinese. He's Asian. (laughs) I've never heard you sound so defeated when you say that. Uh, Meanwhile, the Zapheads have found Molly. She's in the clawfoot tub. She dick kicks one with her tail, but then Spinner kidnaps her and we move on to more fart jokes because Teddy has decided he's going to, quote, Play a tough guy, which involves, once again, cycling through terrible accents, one per sentence. He does an Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah. He does a Jack Nicholson. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really bad. He pretends he wants a gun. He almost gets the gun. And then he like says, oh, by the way, what about the murders we're here for? And the toy maker is like immediately like, oh, well, never mind then. Whoop explosion. Get the gun first, then say, hey, what about the murders we're here for? Have you never (laughs) seen a cop movie before? (laughs) Also, the toy maker just has a dinosaur-sized pistol. It's a Glock (laughs) the size of an oven. So they say, we have this butterfly. We know you made it. And the toy maker does a leave. Clearly leaving a bug that's blinking and beeping and going in a circle. And they stare at this bug. They stare at it. I wonder what it might do. You literally are here because a butterfly exploded, you guys. (laughs) They're like, why don't we just see where it's going? So then the entire building explodes. The entire building explodes. It is a big gasoline explosion. They nuke the set. And the guy in a bag pops out of the rubble 
and says, I ain't cleaning this up. <laughs> Movie rap on the bag man, folks. The toy maker literally pops up to smirk at how clever he was in doing a leave, thus undoing his leave. <laughs> and Teddy grabs him to interrogate him. They try. Uh, and who is this movie for? They don't. Folks, have you ever heard the phrase whimsical interrogation sequence? Because it's here in this movie. This is just a prolonged torture scene. This is just a prolonged torture scene with fart jokes. They torture this man. It's not even like in like that first Thomas Jane Punisher movie where he does a big speech about how a blowtorch makes you feel cold and then pokes the guy in the back with a popsicle. Like that's whimsical torture. This is literally just they breathe on him. They sit on him and fart. It's it's <laughs> awful. Whoopi does beat him up a little. Oh, this is our third IMDb line, which says, you cannot eat our only suspect. Memorable quote, IMDb. Is it? So anyway, it finally works, and the toy man's like, you know, Edge bought the butterfly, he works for Kane, he has hostages, I know that for some reason. Yeah, how does he know that? It just happened like an hour ago. Please let me leave the movie. And they do, and then we cut real quick back to throwing the kid into a jail cell that they have, and also there's a chimpanzee there. Just before they leave, he tells them to ask the zap heads, and you'll never, 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 and then... Teddy turns around and the tail hits him in the face and they knock out the toy maker, at which point the caterpillar pops out of his pocket and says, hey, boss, I quit. Movie wrap on the caterpillar, everybody. Movie wrap on the toy maker. <laughs> what a great scene that was. What an incredible sequence that was with the toy maker. We learned so much. Our world was developed so much. Do you ever, do you ever, get, a, do you ever get a sense of what scene the writer wrote first? <laughs> oh, yeah. When we cut from the chimpanzee cell to... The office we go to next, they literally match cut it between the chimpanzee holding a hand over his mouth to a three wise monkeys carving mm -hmm. on the desk at Kane's office. And our ginger cop Summer is there and he's expositing that Kane's plan will kill all the humans. What? Somehow. And he's like, yeah, I'm just ready for that spot on the arc. It's so great. And even Drusilla is tired of the scene because she asks what diseases run in his family because she's clearly about to murder this dude. And he then makes it worse by saying the only thing running in his family is very big feet. Uh, great. So, you know, some flirting with dicks and light eugenics. <laughs> she is so bothered by this that she has him flash frozen into a popsicle and leaves. Good. <laughs> Uh, so we have this whole fight sequence where Whoopi and Teddy arrive at the Zaphead's lair, I guess. They're having like a party or something. They've got some floozies. Yeah, they've got some floozies with enormous hair. As you do. <laughs> but again, they're just weird little guys. Do the weird little guys have sex? <laughs> I don't know. I don't want to think about I don't want to think about any more dicks than I've already had to think <laughs> about in this movie. <laughs> Harry hot dog. God. Meanwhile, again, dipping into the weird subplot of Rex having a temper, he's like, I'm going to get me a zappy meal, which McDonald's is on the phone. They're going to sue you. And she points out he's a vegetarian and he says, well, I binge once in a while. Teddy has done murders. Teddy's done murders. Teddy has eaten people. Teddy's gone out at night and gone thrill killing. <laughs> what they do is they kidnap a zap head and they tie him to the front of the garbage truck and they run the garbage truck through the side of the building to attract all the zap heads over to that building. They do the quick time event that means that they get full distraction so that Coltrane can Spider-Man down the back. She then blows her stealth advantage by saying, hey guys. <laughs> 
We had such fun shooting at each other. I thought, where should we go? To you. Again, another scene that I absolutely would put money on was an improv. They're like, go in there and be like, I had to come back. That's all you got. Go, Whoopi. <laughs> just, just say something. Keep them busy because Teddy is then going to Tarzan swing in on a rope. They talk about how Teddy weighs like 2,000 pounds. 3,000. <laughs> 3,000. There you go. How strong is this rope? It's a very good rope. A horse weighs two tons. <laughs> Edge goes to Sebastian, having survived his traumatic hand biting. Edge gets Sebastian to read a message into his hollow facts. Do we actually get what the actual message is, or do they just coerce the kid into reading something into a monitor? I don't think we actually get what he read into a monitor, or why. Yeah, I don't know. No one's sure what's going on, but they find Spinner. They kind of threaten Spinner into taking them to New Eden. They know where New Eden is. I don't know why they need to threaten him. But Spinner has a little helicopter. <laughs> he has an ultralight helicopter. A little helicopter that they need to use to get to New Eden for some reason. It's not explained why they can't just drive. They tie Teddy underneath like they're carrying cargo. And there's lots of really silly stuff. But, oh, I'm leaning over here. Oh, can you be straight? No, I got to move over. Oh, no. it's, it's extremely long. Just a prolonged slapstick scene. As this rig, which is clearly not flying, they shot from below and they have Teddy on a green screen wrapped in a rope. And it's, it's, it's very long. And this was at the point in the movie where I started to enjoy these long sequences because they meant that I wouldn't have to take any notes and I could just <laughs> let the movie play and I'd get one step closer to death. <laughs> so, like, they fly into New Eden and we have a bit with Teddy where he's like, well, where are all of Kane's animals? And I'm sure it's, it's supposed to, like, be like, oh, they're already loaded onto the ark or something. It's night, man. They're asleep. Animals go to sleep. Animals go to sleep at the zoo. They don't, they go to, they go, they go to separate enclosures, man. So they crash into Kane's lab through another skylight, just like the van at the beginning. And Spinner pops up in front of his ostensible boss. And he says the one correct and accurate line of the entire movie. I just want to say one thing. None of this is my fault. Just true and accurate, Bud Court. None of this is your fault. So then Drusilla says he's the one shoot him, and she shoots him with a gun that turns him into a disc? Is that what happened? I feel like I blinked and I didn't know what happened to Spinner. She said he's the one shoot him. She shoots him with like a ray gun. He kind of fades and flickers, and then the disc, which potentially could be his electric eye, drops and spins. And that's a movie wrap on Spinner. I guess he's dead. But court get you paid. Either way, he's not in the movie anymore. So the Zap heads, more Zap heads, not the ones who are partying with the floozies and got knocked over, more of them, grab Coltrane and they capture her. And they take her outside and she escapes. And then she goes outside again. And I guess they left Teddy there because he's there in the wreckage and Kane is nice to him. It's like, it goes, I don't know what's going on at this point in the movie. We're in the home stretch here. We're in the last 15 minutes, folks. And Teddy wakes up. Oh, hi, Kane. How's it going? And he's like, Teddy, do you want to, like, go into the future in the next life after I, like, kill all humans? And he's like, oh, wait, you killed Oliver and Adam. <laughs> <laughs> and Kane is like, yes, I told you this repeatedly. I've been trying to confess for 90 minutes. <laughs> I've been doing this whole villainous monologue this whole time, Teddy. My crowning achievement? He's going to use 
a New Eden rocket because New Eden is a rocket now. It's like a nuclear weapon that's going to go into the atmosphere and blood out the sun, not how nuclear weapons work, and create a new ice age. You know, that thing from the beginning of the movie, from the opening crawl. Remember that? It's relevant now. Why was that there? <laughs> Were we supposed to think that he wasn't the bad guy? Because it seemed like you wanted us to play it like it's a surprise that he's the bad guy, but you told us what was happening. Katie finds Sebastian. There's a gunfight. Meanwhile, Kane just fires the rocket. He just does the thing. There's no countdown. He just presses the button. He's like, all right, rocket's launching. Now look at my big room full of tubes with animals in them. All right, we've seen that. Okay. Okay, 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 okay. So they're like, so you hear this computer voice from pretty much here until the last two seconds of the movie. And it says detonation in 100. 100 what? 100 what? 100 what? Because it's not consistent. Because then about 10 seconds later, it says detonation in 90. And then about five minutes of movie time later, you get detonation in 80. No one knows. It is unclear what it was. It minutes? A hundred what? Like, eventually, you'll hear it count down in, in second increments from 10. But that's not what the rest of this was. 100 what? It's like Stellaris, where if you play long <laughs> enough, the clock just starts lagging more and more and more. <laughs> Until you have to whip out the planet cracker just to get the game working at a decent pace again. Kane says he bought breeding pairs of all plants, animals, and bacteria, and that's not how bacteria works. <laughs> that's not even often how plants work. Yeah. And he says, this time I run evolution, not God. So, uh, that's not how evolution works. <laughs> that's not how anything works. <laughs> you are a scientist in theory. I guess I, 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 I don't know. Teddy then says, you froze them to save them. And Kane says, it's a small price for immortality and points out that Molly and Teddy, Molly's already frozen, by the way. She's in one of these tubes. And Teddy's going to be his breeding pair of Rexes. So he's staking everything about Tyrannosaurs off of Teddy Rex and his <laughs> genetics. His crowning achievement. This guy. Look, there's a big fight. Whoopi fights a bunch of zap heads. It's It's okay. It's not bad. She gets to do some cool punches and throw people around, and it's cut very badly. Um, the kid gets to keep the chimpanzee. I still could not see what was happening. <laughs> no. Uh, honestly, look, neither could we. Using the better definition copy, I could not tell you what was happening. There's a fight. It's all happening in the dark. And Shade, meanwhile, has cornered Teddy and said that Oliver and Adam would expose the plan and tries to freeze Teddy. And Teddy says, well, you seem like... A very nice mean lady, but no. And then she says, for no reason, that Elazar Kane has the remote. Only he can stop the plan. And then she's tail gagged to death. <laughs> he bodies her with his tail into this like open cryo chamber or something, closes the door. The door, by the way, has some fun lights on it, like green. Usually that means the door is open if there's green lights on a door. The lights don't change color. They didn't get the LEDs for that one. So it's just a green door that's shut. And she's like, no, let me out. Teddy does murder. Teddy will kill again. But in the meantime, Teddy has to try opening this door with his girlfriend in it by literally just pawing at it. I feel like the girlfriend can wait until after he's gotten the remote. <laughs> no. I feel like the order of operations here is a bit fucked. At some point, he's also like, oh, Molly, what have they done to you? They, they froze her. They froze her, dude. Like the fish. They froze her. She's, she's frozen. Like the fish. Remember the fish? 
<laughs> he explained it to you. Then we see him visibly give up, leave her for dead, <laughs> turn away, and we get the tail gag of hope and broken keypad because he smashes it. The panel literally says, ouch. <laughs> and Molly is both free and thawed immediately. That was the only genuine laugh I had throughout the entire movie is the panel going, ouch. <laughs> She's even moving before the panel goes, ouch. Meanwhile, Coltrane has decided to finish the fight by picking up a grenade and shaking it at the zap heads like they're dogs. And they run away. Like it's a can full of pennies. Get out of here. Go on. Get out of here. Go on. Get. Get. Hey. Ot. Ot. So Edge and Kane come out to the balcony and Edge shoots Katie a bunch, and Katie shoots Kane and sparks and falls over, and she's covered with wharf lightning from that one episode of TNG. <laughs> and Teddy's like, oh, I'm, I'm not really shot. Are you shot? And she's like, eh. I'm kind of shot. I'm kind of shot. I'm frozen. My computer parts aren't working. I don't want to be in the movie right now. Whoever wrote this movie never, ever heard the screenwriting rule of no new information in the second half. <laughs> Teddy asks for her gun. He says, a good cop uses a gun. You taught me that. And she says, no, your brain. Your brain's stronger than bullets. What? <laughs> what? Your brain is the strongest gun of all. <laughs> and he, she calls him her partner. And he said, you've seen the P word. That's, that's not the P word. That's not what the P word is. That's also not something that you've set up at all. Were we building up to this? I don't think so. We never even said the word partner before. Not really. So Kane's getting away. And Teddy tail whips a zap head who calls him lizard lips before he dies and steals the zap head's gun only to throw it away because that lesson finally kicked in. This is the weapon of the enemy. We do not use it. <laughs> so instead, he gets a rope from somewhere, grabs a crowbar, makes it into a grappling hook in a sequence that I swear took 10 full minutes. <laughs> it's such a long remaining 15 minutes of this movie. This movie's getting slower as it goes on. It's like the minute he bends it, we're like, okay, it's a grapple. But then he bends another bit and then he ties the rope on it. And then he cut to his eyes looking and then he's bending a second bit. So then he throws it. And luckily it's one of those hills where it's a zigzagging path back and forth. So he can just do like in Far Cry and jump from one to the other because falling damage is for suckers. And he just throws down. He hooks Kane's seat and, like, ejector seats him out of the Jeep. It's incredibly stupid. It's unclear if they meant to set that up with the really stupid chair bit when Whoopi Goldberg first got in Teddy's, like, car. It's unclear if that's foreshadowing or not, or if this movie is just stupid in sequential order. <laughs> so then Edge, who just saw a seat ripped out of his Jeep, loses the ability to drive, crashes into a billboard, and explodes with the fire of a thousand suns. <laughs> And screams loudly and throws his hands up in front of his face. He's like, like oh, oh, no. <laughs> I just worked out. I know why Edge died when he ran into that billboard. Why? It was held up with stakes and he's a vampire. <laughs> <laughs> and it was a bomb full of nitroglycerin behind the billboard. <laughs> <laughs> that may have had a bad thing. So Teddy pulls the remote out of Kane's pocket as he's hanging there. And he pushes the button, but the countdown doesn't stop, and the missile still blows up, but it's fine. <laughs> and again, it is now switched to being in seconds, so it's like 10, 9, 8, 7. What, so it was seconds this whole time, and then it just blows up, but like it doesn't do anything. Because he presses the button, and it keeps counting till it gets to 1, 
and then it explodes, but apparently it was a smaller explode. It didn't do a blot out the sun, I guess. I guess. But now Teddy's getting a medal. Yeah, no, we're just, we're done. Uh, Teddy gets a hero party. And the commissioner says, it's fine because soft skin and scale are only words. Did did he just say a slur? Did, did, the, did the police commissioner just... I think he just he just said a slur. I think he just said a slur. On TV? On TV, he did a slur. <laughs> They're only words designed to keep us apart. I mean, he had a heated gamer moment. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like the M word. You could just call me Alex. Please don't. Mm. Teddy is promoted to detective first class. Dino empowerment, I guess. The dino pervert Greg is at the ceremony... He's here. Why is he here? Don't worry. He's fine. We were all so concerned about the dinosaur pervert. <laughs> yeah, we all wanted to make sure that the dinosaur pervert was okay. <laughs> Teddy accepts his medal. He then tail gag kneecaps the commissioner on live television. He has his tiny little arm in a sling. I guess he injured it at some point. But like, they couldn't really move the suit very well. So it, it, it there's just sort of some loose cloth around him. Molly tells Teddy, you to man which is both inaccurate and offensive. <laughs> Coltrane says to Teddy, apparently she's fixed. We don't know how. Anytime you need me, you know where to find me. And Teddy says, funny that, because I've, I've get a chance to pick my new partner because you're my new partner now. And she's like, I meant like in a couple of days after, um, okay. <laughs> and then Teddy says, I think this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship. <laughs> What have we said about the Bogart estate? They are very litigious. You didn't earn that movie. You didn't earn that fucking line. Fuck you. So then the movie ends and it is dedicated to Lorenzo Ferrari. Why? I don't know. Who's Lorenzo Ferrari? Do you know the dude who designs Ferraris? That Lorenzo Ferrari? That Lorenzo Ferrari? Why though? I don't know. It was bankrolled by an Italian pharmacy mogul. So maybe he was just big into the Ferrari that he had. Maybe they were friends. I don't fucking know. Oh, I forgot to mention the final IMDb line of the memorable quotes page is Coltrane saying, I love it when he does that. And Teddy saying, ha ha, woo. Yeah, it does not appear in the movie. Ha ha, woo, yeah. She loves it when he does that. And that's the end. I don't, stop making me think about dinosaur penises. <laughs> we made it, y'all. We're done. We made it through. This was a lot. We lost Mackenzie along the way, but you know. We did lose Mackenzie. I don't know if we're getting her back. <laughs> it's okay. I've been in communication with her. I baited her back with her pick for the next episode. So we've got that at least. I need to send her a basket of some seaweed kelp and krill. <laughs> and some Subway cookies. And some Subway cookies. Macadamia. <laughs> so I think we've proven beyond a shadow of a doubt that really you should know what you're getting into when you sign a contract or are illegally recorded on an answering machine. <laughs> Don't give a polite yes to anything in Hollywood. No. <laughs> I think it's time for our final fact, Annie. <laughs> Annie, what's your final fact? My final fact is, is sort of a mini thing all on its own. Because I have one more quote to share with you all from Bruce, the head puppeteer for Theodore. It was just a cop buddy movie, right? Everyone understood the genre, but in this case, you had to ask, why? <laughs> why are they talking? Why are they dressed as humans? Why are they dying? Why are they not fighting back? Why 
he eat meat? Why does he want to live in an apartment? I mean, so many whys. Why does he wear a ring? Why is he driving in a car? And why is he with Whoopi Goldberg? And nobody could figure any of that out. And nobody has since. (laughs) (laughs) So my fact is that you need to know why. (laughs) (laughs) Kit, what's your fact? I don't know. My fact is that don't watch movies on YouTube. (laughs) The resolution's bad. You won't know what's happening. If you're going to put movies on YouTube, maybe just do somebody else solid and add some add some subtitles, please. I was like, oh, well, the resolution on this is b- very bad. And then I wondered, is, is it possible that a higher quality scan of this movie does not exist? <laughs> <laughs> Internet Archive was the best one we got. Who is that, by the way? What soul said I need high resolution? Ted Theodore Rex just just preserved? I don't know. Sorry, I, can we just stop and, and you said Ted Theodore Rex, like Ted Theodore Logan. <laughs> <laughs> Whoopi S. Goldberg, Esquire. <laughs> Lucas, what's your final fact? So coming back to Boxing Helena 400 years ago when we started this podcast. <laughs> in addition to the high profile leaving of Madonna and Kim Basinger, the other person who left was a third major star, Ed Harris. Ed Harris? Ed Harris, who was in the movie in theory, but basically bailed after the extensive production delays, telling the New York Times, putting this in black and white, on written record, I needed to get on with my life. <laughs> I think we can all learn something from that. Know when to fold them, <laughs> y'all. Know when you are in a bad thing, you don't have to keep going. If it sucks, <laughs> hit the bricks. The sunk cost fallacy is very real. You can be like that very now famous Australian flight attendant who, while the plane was still on the tarmac, grabbed two beers from the refreshment cart, popped them with his thumbs, then hit the emergency slide, said, peace out, y'all, and slid his way out of the plane. You could be that guy. (laughs) That's a real thing that happened. He got fined a lot of money, but it was so cool. (laughs) That's very Australian. Oh, shit. The beers especially. See ya. So yeah, that's my final fact. Know when to fold them, y'all. I'm very impressed that he managed to pop those beers with his thumbnail. (laughs) He's a flight attendant. They got skills. (laughs) Whoopi Goldberg still refuses to talk about this movie. She does. The writer and director never wrote or directed another movie ever again. Ever. If you go on The View and ask Whoopi Goldberg about Theodore Rex, they just cut to commercial immediately. I think her eyes roll back into her head and she starts speaking in tongues and glowing just with the sheer power of her rage. People have tried to surprise her with Theodore Rex questions. She says, I don't want to talk about it. And she leaves the room. (laughs) (laughs) I have a lot of respect for Whoopi Goldberg for just refusing to address any part of that period of her life. I just I think it's great. Yeah, if you get a chance, go read that slash film, Oral History. It's really good. And about how no one sets out to make a bad movie, but maybe some movies are bad. (laughs) I think that's going to do it for us here. Join us next time when we have gotten Mac back onto this podcast, promised her that we won't talk about Theodore Rex ever again. (laughs) And instead, we'll be talking about a movie that made Mac realize that she was queer. We're going to be talking about Labyrinth with, I believe, our fact that everything is queerer around David Bowie. (laughs) (laughs) 
True and accurate. Join us next time for that. Lucas, thank you so much for coming on. Where can people find you? What would you like to plug? If people want to follow my wacky adventures, you can do so at Lokified, L-O-K-I-F-I-E-D, on Twitter and Instagram. You can also find me by that same name on Letterboxd. I will be reviewing Theodore Rex on there. (laughs) I will be scathing. I have a podcast called The Math of You, which has been in semi-hiatus for about two years, because I don't know if you looked outside, there's a panini going on. (laughs) There's a lot happening. I am in Sydney, Australia, at the forefront of the fastest growing Omicron outbreak exponentially in the world. Hooray! So that's fun. Get your boosters, ladies and gentle them. So if you wanted to follow me there, you can. My plan, as God laughed, is I said that in 2022, I would be recording and releasing new Math of You episodes. God laughed real hard at that one. <laughs> Lucas, you've got a son. You've got a soon-to-be five-year-old, right? I have a soon-to-be five-year-old and a full-time job and a panini outside my window. But I said, you know what needs development? My podcast project. I think you've got some shit happening, my dude. I think you're fine. <sighs> At the very least, y'all should go listen to the archives. Lucas has had some great episodes, had some conversations with some really fun folks, both friends of the show and and friends on the show who are the show. We are the show. We've been on there. And he's been on four times? Four? I think it might be four now. Three or four? (laughs) I don't know. The Christmas one's real good. I like the Christmas one. I also produce this show. He does. Check out Lucas's other show that he produces. This one. This one. (laughs) (laughs) Have you you heard this podcast? I Will Fight You comes out every five weeks, wherever you download podcasts. You can find us. Our social media is at Twitter, at CRC Podcast. We're also on Tumblr, I guess, somewhere. Uh, just sort of Google us. You'll find us. We have a website. It's crookedrussiancam.horse or crookedrussiancam.gay. Don't say .gay horse. We don't have that one. Yet. Yeah. <laughs> .gay horse is not yet a valid domain extension, but we're waiting with our fingers over the trigger for when it is. When it happens, we will be on the forefront of the .gay horse community. Actually, you know what? I don't want to make that claim. I think there's a lot of gay horse girls out there who will know this much better than I will. Y'all take this one. (laughs) Horse girls are intense. Support us. You can do that at patreon.com slash the gem jam for a dollar a month. You can get access to early episodes of I Will Fight You for five dollars. You can get show notes and some of our stuff for that. And that will also give you access to a lot of other bonus stuff for our other shows, Gem Jammer and Date Me Damn It. You can also just give us a like, rating, review, subscribe, comment, wherever you find us. Talk to me on Twitter. I'm at our Twitter. Give me compliments about my show and my good friends. I like telling my friends that they are very good. My friends, you're very good. Thank you. Thanks. Uh... Join us next time when we will be talking about the very important film Labyrinth with the very important cod piece and the very important contact juggling. <laughs> then it's fucking Labyrinth. And regular Hoggle. We've already had a movie where we talked about buff Hoggle. This is regular Hoggle. <laughs> Contains 200% less dinosaur perverts. You could put that on the business card. <laughs> uh, join us then. Until next time, I'm Annie. I'm Kit. And I'm Lucas. And Mac is gone forever. And we have fought you. So now that we're recording, I can actually ask the entire room, uh, are y'all really mad at me about this movie? <laughs> oh, really? God fucking damn it, Lucas. <laughs> well, do you want to do you want to get the actual episode started for that first or? No, I wanted a blind reaction, because it's probably going to involve a lot of swearing. (laughs) 
It's honestly not like the worst bad movie I've ever seen. It's pretty deeply weird and confusing. But like, it's not like an active like drain on my life the way that, gosh, what would be the worst movie I've ever seen was Super K slash Kiara the Brave. <laughs> that one made me want to die. So when we were discussing what to do next for Yuffie, I was pondering of suggesting Super K, but then I was like, no. Oh, no, I can't. I You're going to do that to yourselves again? <laughs> I can't go back to that one. I can't. Do- <laughs> I, I mean, like, there's a part of it that lives in my brain now. You know, kid power. Where do you think this is? Walmart. But, like, not in a way that I would ever want to inflict that upon myself again or upon anyone else. And is there anything else that we need to plug? Uh, usually I would say who produces this podcast, but we already did that because he's here. <laughs> he's here. Hello. Hi, Lucas. <laughs>